undiscovered creature. Welcome everyone to the SummerSlam 1990 edition of the Legacy Series. It's Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It is the Spectrum. Uh, it is at a time of great transition. Uh, as I think about uh, my own life, I've been reading and I keep coming across the concept of roots. I'm reading about the idea that in our lives, many of us have this idea that we're going to be great at something. We're going to do something. There's something that's going to make us exceptional. So we always have our mind in a future place. We're never quite rooted to the place we're in. And that text is arguing that at some point you have to root yourself down in a single place so that you can grow roots and you can become shade for somebody else. That's an interesting concept, especially at SummerSlam, where the idea of being burnt, being hot, all of this is a good thing. Yet all of us in that kind of weather seek shade. And the WWF has just come out of an era where how tall was Hulk Hogan? How deep were those roots? How much shade did he provide for the company? The same with Demolition, with the longest reigning tag team titles. You know, we are at a time where the shade has been large and maybe even taken for granted, but we're trying to find new trees. We're trying to plant new roots and we're trying to just easily take one for one, Hogan for warrior, this for that. And sometimes it's not about that anymore. Sometimes you got to find a different way to grow. And recently, a friend of mine sent me a quote uh, this is from Think Like a Monk, and it says, Redwood trees are another story. Famously tall, you think they need deep roots to survive, but in fact, their roots are shallow. What gives the trees resilience is that these roots spread widely. Redwood's best thriving groves interweaving their roots so the strong and weak together withstand the forces of nature. I think maybe this is a time where instead of deep roots, you need trees that can grow together. That's what you're going to see in the IC title. You're going to see it with Perfect and Piper and Bret Hart and Davy Boy, his family, Shawn Michaels and Marty, the Rockers. You're going to see them grow together. But what about the ultimate warrior? Can he be deep roots? Can he stand still long enough to do that? Can he be a part of something enough to be something that grows with others? What about this person? What about that person? The pay-per-view that we are about to give you is a tale of a hundred stories. It is so interesting to me. I feel like the first half and the second half are booked by completely different people at completely different times. I feel like there are many questions that need to be asked. You're going to find out in parts of this pay-per-view what perfect booking is for the mystic. You're going to find out what it's like if I was being booked four and two and at other times you're going to find maybe the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst and that is all in this show so join us sit down buckle up ladies and gentlemen it's SummerSlam 1990 uh, the hype is back grab your shovels because the unearthing continues I am the mystic and I am joined by my friend and co-host by God my learned colleague Mr. Mizfan the brain Greetings, Miz fan fans. Welcome indeed to SummerSlam 1990. The tagline of this event is The Heat Returns. I think to 
fully understand that, we have to ask, where did the heat go? Mm. And did it actually come back? We will talk about both of those things. This show is, I would say, the very definition of a mixed bag. There are nine matches on this card. I think I enjoyed maybe about half of them, which is not perhaps the ratio that you want to have. And yet, there is definitely truth to what the Mystic is saying. You can see uh, some things growing here for that next generation, that new generation that we will see very soon. There is also some stuff hanging on from the old generation that perhaps ought to be slashed and burned, which is also something you have to do sometimes when you're growing a forest. So we will examine what is what. We will look at this continual weird year of 1990, which features some very good stuff and some highly regrettable stuff. I find myself reflecting back on the NWA of this time, and I remember maybe having a very similar feeling. I remember on the other side, it was a year of, uh, of great tag teams, of some great stuff in the mid-card, and yet also a very disappointing main event series the lame duck Ric Flair Lex Luger feud, which would never go anywhere and which put shame to their previous encounters. The, the waiting around looking at our watch for Sting to be healed, to come back only to have uh, one of the poorest reigns that we had seen up to that point. Just uh, a real mixed bag on that side as well. I will just say uh, looking now at both sides it is no surprise to me that uh, wrestling success is going to crater out here soon. It won't go away entirely. It'll, it'll pop up again here and there. But uh, this is a time for the wrestling industry to decline. And uh, outside factors, all factored in, I still think you have to say they did it to themselves. I've never been more convinced that it was simply bad choices that did a lot of this. And you've talked about that a lot with burning goodwill. Mm. But... The simple choice of I choose this person over all of these people seem to be uh, some of the greatest mistakes. I choose Zeus, like we said, when I could choose Stan Hansen. I choose Ultimate Warrior when I could choose, say, Dusty Rhodes. I choose this when I could choose that. And then you got to live with it. And now we're at a pay-per-view, the first one since Warrior beat Hogan. And they've given him a new hairdo. He's talking differently because... Um, they, Bruce Pritchard said this. They, they're trying to get him to relate because it's already not working. Mm, indeed, indeed. I think I put down uh, in my notes at some point. Uh, at least the live crowd appreciated it, and I think you can really say uh, even the stuff that I think didn't work. Often the crowd was into it, and that's all well and good. And yet, clearly, they did not like it enough because they will not keep coming back for it. So. Uh, even if you can pop that live crowd, sometimes that's not always enough. You have to build something that's going to last. Your roots have to be deep or wide. They can't just be neither or else uh, it's just not going to work out. Yeah, that is the biggest problem um, with a guy like the Ultimate Warrior. When I was thinking about this, his roots are never going to be deep and they're never going to be wide. Like He doesn't care enough about the business for it to be deep. And he doesn't care enough about other human beings for it to be wide. So... <laughs> Like there's just no way to make him work, and that is what we got at around WrestleMania is that there's no way to do this, and that's what I think Savage and DiBiase were on the record. Roddy Piper, who we'll talk about uh, if he's in the booth on the show, he roasts the Ultimate Warrior during the main event. <laughs> 
Oh, yes, right. Piper in the booth, one of many changes we are definitely seeing around this time. But it's funny, you know, you talk about um, Ultimate Warrior didn't like the business enough. Of course, that's something people often said about Lex Luger. And yet, look at the difference between them. Look at the way that Lex Luger uh, did make connections in the business. Uh, look at the way he improved himself. Look at the way he stuck it out, put in the effort, had all of these high points, you know, took a, t- took a detour to the WBF and, you know, that's all well and good, but came back, kept working, uh, unlike Ultimate Warrior, who, who could never stick it out between, uh, you know, a few years in the first place and then a few months periodically after that, would never last, no connections, nobody says a good word about the guy, um, you know, a business never succeeded for more than a moment under him, uh, just, just a very striking difference between them, so it, it's beyond even didn't uh, care enough about the business, you know, I think there's just a certain personality here that, uh, you say what you will about Hulk Hogan, but he was so in for the long haul, say what you will about Lex Luger, but he put in tremendous amount of effort, Ultimate Warrior, man, what did he put in, he didn't put in anything, I don't think. He's the least, I think, as far as that, you know, he really will, like, leave, it's the ultimate, um, insanity, in a way, like, he will... <laughs> Like for for one day's money, he he will leave a company when he has no other way to make money for the next two or three years, or then ten years, or you know. So it doesn't make sense. What I'll say about Luger is, if you can believe Pritchard on this, there is some truth in the. And I've never thought about this before, but like he said, part of the reason that they people were down on the Lex Express as far as in the company is Luger was like, you know what, I'm tired of riding on this bus. Why can't I just fly to the next place when it's my time and then get on the bus when it's time? So there's a lot of, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be on all these shows. I got all this radio. You know, so mm-hmm. it's an interesting thing that I'm now thinking. Then he goes back to WCW for like $125,000, which he left WCW in 91, and he's making seven or $800,000. And he puts in the best three years of his career that, to me, are on par with just about anything you can talk about. But it's that second tree, I think, because WCW is his home. Sting is his best friend. He's a different Lex Luger, so perhaps he is the Le- perhaps he is one of those that grows, you know, with others. Mm. He grows in that grove, and WCW was that grove, and WWF just never was that grove for him. I I think that's a very fair way to look at it. Um, Lex Luger, you know, is derided primarily because of his WWF run. And, Mm -hmm. you know, leaving that aside, whether I agree with that or not, I think if you look at the guy in WCW, the differences are very clear, like in the way that he acts, in the way that he is invested. Um, Mm -hmm. I think almost all of his best years, yeah, are certainly in the NWA, and I think you're right, a lot of that is just the people that he was around, the environment that he was around, it was just much better for him. Yeah, and we, we can't even have that conversation, because the only <laughs> conversation you can have about the two companies is, WWF was run like a company, WCW was a mess, so it can't even go into your mind that somebody might have done better in another company, because they liked it better, or they fit better, or they just enjoyed the experience, but how do you explain a man who's going to be critiqued his whole career for caring about nothing but money, leaving WWF to go do $125,000 in WCW. You know, how do you explain that? You, know, you just can't. 
Indeed. Uh, I will say this. The uh, explosion of Internet opinions is certainly a double-edged sword that can cut severely both ways. But I will say, I think now, compared to in the past, I see a lot more people who are willing to have those conversations or at least willing to uh, maybe investigate something which is mm. different than the narrative used to be. The narratives are not as overpowering as they once were. People uh, perhaps know things a little more or at least uh, in this respect are open to things a little more. It, it is no longer, I hope, just a uh, WWE world out there. But uh, who knows? You know, the, I, I don't go to every corner of the Internet for that yes. very reason. <laughs> so who knows what some people think still? <laughs> That's a great point. You know, in a way, WWF is losing a lot of credibility now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I, like I haven't researched it enough. Can, do we have the sense to make context like WWF bad now? But then when we're talking about in 1993, do we say, huh, maybe some of this that we don't like about now also applies there in WWF versus WCW? Or would, do we still have the same conversation when we're talking about 1993 and not 2020? And I don't know the answer to that. I don't know either. All I know is that uh, at least when I look around, I I've definitely seen a resurgence of, you know, WCW was actually good. Um, mm -hmm. You know, Lex Luger was actually good. Like people who uh, their narrative is not good. Um, are, have been rehabilitated, at least with some some people. Um, and sometimes that doesn't even go like it goes against what I think, because I also see like the argument, oh, Sting was actually good for blah, blah reasons. I'm like, well, I don't agree, but I'm glad you're thinking about it. Or even like Sid was very good in, in certain ways. And I'm yeah. like, well, blah, that's crazy to me. But like also, OK, maybe I can see what you're saying. Like people are thinking about these things at least. And I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Warriors, another one. If you go to the comment section, sure, you, get, sure. <laughs> you get a bunch of comments saying he was never as bad as people said. He's really he was this, that and the other. And it was the company or it was Hogan or it was this. So. But again, like I'd like to see differences of opinion, even if I don't agree uh, with it. So, warrior, I will never agree with. Like I'm trying my best. Like I've tried every show, and this will be another one where um, he's getting better in a way because of who he's with. But you know, there are moments that um, Rude is not on camera, and you see who still who the warrior still is. <laughs> oh man, that's the truth. That's the truth for sure. Oh, boy. I will say it is nice um, for me because I think you'll agree for a really long time. If you are on the Internet and you like dress like you better like the small work rate guy or else like you're a demon. Like you don't you're, you're insane. Mm -hmm. Like you can't even have a real opinion unless you like that. Now, I love the small work rate guys. But, man, I love the big guys, the muscle guys, the power guys, the guys that can do crazy stuff that the small guys just can't do. You know, uh, th those guys bring something totally different to the table, and I think there has been a real movement to appreciate those guys more, those muscle guys, those power guys, those big guys, those guys for whom less was more, either because of their ability or because of their style. Um, so I, I will always show appreciation of that. I will show uh, openness to that conversation. I'm not going to love every guy that everybody else loves necessarily, but uh, it's nice I feel like that conversation is much more out there than it was 10 years ago. Yeah, that is that is something that to me is human nature on an individual and a societal level. That mm. if you dominate to the point that you eradicate everything else, <laughs> you're going to have an amazing 10 years or so. But you're already promising that that thing that gets stomped out is going to have a revival. 
Indeed so, yeah. I think um, people are always going to appreciate different things, and the more you push against those things, the more they're going to come back. Um, you know, there are exceptions to that rule, but uh, generally, I think if it comes down to just a matter of taste, tastes are going to swing around a lot, and uh, yeah, eventually, they're going to swing the other way. Man, I I love all this stuff. I, I, I have no time for anybody who wants to dismiss a kind of wrestler out of hand if you're like, oh, I don't like those muscly guys, or I don't like those small guys, they're too vanilla, or oh, I don't like brawlers, that's not real wrestling, or oh, hardcore, that's not, that's not that can never be good, all this stuff. I have no time for any of you people because you are just shutting yourself off to part of what makes wrestling great because it all is supposed to work together. When we were watching WCW, the best times they had is when every match on the card was something different and just the incredible variety of wrestling is wonderful, and I love it. So open your mind to all the kinds of wrestling, because it's all great. It can all be great in its own way. I don't even understand that kind of conversation, because like whether you're watching WWF <clears throat> or the UFC or whatever else, where are you going to find one style where everybody does everything the same, and why would you want that? Like The beauty of this thing is Fit Finley is never going to be able to be Lex Luger. Lex Luger's never going to be able to be Fit Finley. You know, you got to play to your strengths. And so what happens when a brawler meets a high-flying guy, meets a power guy, meets whatever we're talking about here, and who knows what's going to happen? But it's so interesting. You know, you got power and glory versus the Rockers early in the show. You know, Hercules has to do Herculean things. Uh, the Rockers have to be the Rockers. And to me, if you want anything to be authentic on the wrestling side, it has to begin right there with that diversity of styles. Absolutely. That, that is definitely my opinion. Um, you know, I, you watch these cards, uh, these indie cards today and they can be super fun, but sometimes they can also just be like, um, not so much now, but especially maybe a few years ago, like just the same style, just again and again and again in every match. And it's like, even if you like the style, it's like, man, that's too much. You need some variety, which is, uh, why well, I appreciate, of course, I'm a big AEW fan. I think there is a nice mix of things over there. I appreciated them a lot. I think uh, promotions throughout history have succeeded when they have variety. So uh, there's, there's a lot of good that I can say about that. Absolutely. So I want to say one thing. But we're gonna, what we're going to get in this pay-per-view for an extended amount of time is the Mystics favorite thing in all of professional wrestling <laughs> i'm excited to hear about that i i did like the first uh, bit of this show but uh, uh you 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 recommended it so strongly and uh you you don't always do such a thing so i'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this stuff well it goes back to uh my childhood it goes back to impact the revolution what did we like so much about Impact the Revolution? In part, they had these cameras backstage, and these were human beings who had to enter the building. They had to be somewhere. They had to exist. The ongoing storyline, the continual storyline, that things spill in, they spill out. The stories go on throughout the night. And you know who else that's, loves that? Professional wrestling fans. If you watched Raw and Nitro when the ratings were at the highest, you can imagine them. How did you keep somebody on the channel? Vince McMahon and Steve Austin were unfolding all night. The storyline, the ideas, where are they? Where's this person? What are they going to do? Uh, what's going on with the NWO? What happens when they lay out half the locker room and they shoot Rey Mysterio like a dart? And then here comes the horsemen who don't even like these guys and they're 
They're bent over them. The ongoing story, the reality, the unfolding, the mystery, the authenticity. And weirdly enough, we're not building that around Hulk Hogan, who's in the double main event. We're not building that around the ultimate warrior. We're building that around Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire. <laughs> oh, it's great, isn't it? That's um, that's a great point. I didn't even think about that so much. So that is uh, huh, that was a very good part of this show, and uh, I'm very excited to get into that and all the rest of it. Well, not all the rest of it, but about <laughs> half the rest I'm excited about. So <laughs> I firmly believe we had a hard uh, break in the middle of this show because we had to then switch over to some of the worst stuff uh, the WWF could give us. <laughs> I think I know exactly where that break comes, but uh, I guess we'll we'll figure it out together here. Okay, so folks, uh, we're gonna get into it, man. Man, I this is good. nuts. I'm looking this up a sec. Sorry to break in, but uh, this show actually sold better than WrestleMania, um, and I don't know what that tells you, because H- Hogan and Warrior are supposed to be such uh, hot shit, but. I don't know. This show sold a little better, but man, I got to tell you, after this, after this, these shows are not going to be selling too well. Um, so it, we're really at a point where we're just uh, about to really go into a decline in terms of at least pay-per-view buys, which is what I'm looking at right now. And uh, maybe it's deceptive because the way they measure these is kind of a relative thing. More and more people have pay-per-view, so maybe the slide is not as extreme as it looks, but man... I'm just shocked that this sold better than WrestleMania. I wonder what the reason was for that. It's interesting to me that I think we've had tag matches. Mm. Has it been for every SummerSlam so far? Yeah, I think this is the first one with an actual title match on it. Cause last yeah, time we got was, a double main event. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm. So, well, number one, we don't trust Warrior uh, to be the main event by himself. And number two, <laughs> perhaps we don't want Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior in the same scene together. Yeah, perhaps not. You know, I, <laughs> I have very little good to say about the Hogan earthquake feud. And yeah, we've heard people recommend it. Maybe it really did invest people at the time. I mean, they will certainly be loud for that match. So uh, maybe it's just one of those things which doesn't connect with me, but it definitely connected with people at the time. So, uh, you know, that that's fair enough, I guess, as far as it goes. Something worked here. So we'll try to figure out what it was. Yeah, I think this is the era, too, where Hogan's houses are beating up on Warriors house shows. So. I would be shocked if they weren't, to be honest. <laughs> And then when they're on the same show, Hogan's in the middle of it, and the fans are leaving afterwards. So that's also not a good thing to uh, see happen. And it's not even a preference, but it's just, like, because I I don't have horrible things to say about Warrior and Root. I got some things, I got some critiques like normal, but what I kept thinking is the show could end at any time. Nothing puts that match at the end except for the fact that they book it there. Right, yeah. (laughs) You know, nothing tells me I have to stay because Ultimate Warrior's got to match at the end of the show, and I just don't think you can ever get there because, again, he's not connected enough. But we'll get into it. This is this is a fascinating pay-per-view. I, I don't think anything has made me feel like this is the 90s and this is what I grew up watching versus what came before it more than the fact that Jesse Ventura is not there. Yeah, we are about one year away, I think, from when you started, and yeah. now, 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 Vince McMahon is joined by Rowdy Roddy Piper. I believe we have heard our last bit of Jesse Ventura commentary, mm-hmm. which is very sad. We've talked many times about he is one of, if not the best, color commentator ever. 
He brought tremendous value to the show. He would often get a special introduction and get one of the loudest pops of the night. Uh, he created connections with Hollywood. He he had issues with Hulk Hogan. He, he brought just tremendous stuff to the show. He created a role which even today people are scrambling to fill and often not succeeding. So there's a lot to be said about the greatness, the impact of Jesse Ventura. We will definitely miss him on the Legacy Series. Yeah, these are people who are strong-wheeled. Like this, I was thinking about how much of the characters that we enjoy and don't enjoy are just built on like the will of Jesse Ventura, the will of Hulk Hogan, the will of Vince McMahon, the will of the Ultimate Warrior. Like these are people who believe their own stuff. They are ridiculously um, like Jesse Ventura and WWF are going to part over a video game and the money surrounding it. And I don't think the game ever materializes after that, you know, <laughs> and then Jesse's in guess who Jesse Ventura is currently making a TV show with Roddy Piper and WWF goes out and gets Roddy Piper to replace uh, Jesse Ventura. And then that show is going to be canceled after one or two episodes. So you think about the fact that these people, again, will walk away from guaranteed good money forever over their principles, over their egos, and then, like, bad thing after bad thing. But this is a man that's going to go on. He's going to be the governor. He's going to do amazing things. But, man, it's just a different time. Like, I don't know if we didn't teach caution at this time or we didn't teach anything like that, but I feel like I'm watching a different species when I try to think about how these people move in the world. <laughs> Well, I think it's a very different country for one thing. Um, yeah. You know, I think there are more opportunities out there in general and within wrestling itself. And uh, also, yeah, you will definitely not – this will not be the last guy who walks out so easily on Vince McMahon. I think uh, the main eventer of this show, Rick Rude, will be gone mm -hmm. before the end of the year, also over uh, disputes. Yep. And uh, Ultimate Warrior himself, of course, he will be gone. And, uh, you know, we, we can kind of look down – on him all we want, but uh, if there's one area where he's in good company, it's uh, quitting in Vince McMahon, because uh, many people will do for as good or better reasons. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's something there for sure. Yeah, Vince makes it easy to quit, I think. <laughs> I would think so. I you know I, I I require a good work environment, I think, to kind of be happy in my life. So some mm -hmm. of these people. You know, they're sturdier than I am, and I, I never blame a wrestler who quits kind of for any reason. Um, it's crazy to me. Some fans are like, oh, well, you owe blah, blah, blah. Oh, you signed yeah. this contract. And I'm like, man, these people are mm -hmm. destroying themselves for your entertainment. They can do whatever the hell they feel like they need to do as long as they're not hurting anybody, for yeah. God's sakes. Like, I would never hold it against a wrestler if they stopped wrestling. Like, that would be the same thing. For everyone to just stop wrestling, to be honest, I'm glad they don't. But uh, I do think they're a little insane to keep doing it. So for God's sakes, wrestling fans, take the part of the wrestler. That promoter, they don't know you, they don't like you, they don't, um, you know, care about you at all, really. So maybe the wrestler doesn't either. But at least the wrestler is out there with their butt on the line for you. Jeez. Oh man, yeah, for sure. I love the one-sided owing. Like I owe you, you don't owe me, but we've both been doing this stuff together. Like that's a beautiful relationship. Oh my god! Um, I, I, want, I want more of those. No, I don't even want to say that out loud. I do not want more of those relationships. It's uh, I've heard that as well. I think that's terribly sad. I think that's uh, misguided. Uh, I don't know why you would owe someone more than they owe you because 
if they hired you to do a job and you did your job, that means you did something for them and they did something for you. So doesn't that where's the owing in that? <laughs> Indeed. And that's not even to get into uh, the things that wrestling promotions probably should owe their people yeah. that they don't bother to deliver on. So uh I don't know. It's, I've never understood completely this kind of like laissez-faire idea of like, well, okay, promoters can just take advantage of wrestlers all they want. And if the wrestler agrees, even though it should, I guess, uh, you know, it's just the, like the promoter, let's worship them. And the wrestler, well, fuck you, you know, go out and concuss yourself. So I don't understand it at all. That That's just not me. So. Yeah, it's, a, it's another conversation, but I would say, as someone who only pretty much likes the 90s and hasn't watched much wrestling, you would think I would want everybody to come back at 60 years old and just put their bodies on the line so I could have something to like. But I don't feel that way because <laughs> like, I don't want them getting hurt. I don't want them getting killed. And also, it's just sad to me sometimes when <sighs> it's not a judgment because like Sting is back, for example, and it might go well. It might not. But. For some of them, you know that the reason that they're back is they need money and they don't have anything else that they can do. Yeah. And who in the world do you want to see like that? Like, I don't want to celebrate that. Like, I'll support them if I can. But, like, it doesn't make me happy. If Lex Luger had been healthy, it wouldn't make me happy if I'm like, oh, yes, his life has sucked for the last 10 years and he's got to come back to wrestling. Yeah, yeah that's not, I'm not cheering for that. Right. <laughs> God. Uh, man, even if they are healthy, even if they're not broke, like sometimes they come back just because they can't stop. It yeah. feels like that scares me almost the most of all. Like I still think Ric Flair is just determined that he will die yes. in some sort of wrestling related events. Um, and it's, it's kind of frightening. Like you always hear whenever, you know, something like this happens or wrestlers, they're doing something dangerous. All this stuff is like, Oh, well they're adults. They chose to do it. And, okay. Yes, that's true. I can't stop them. That doesn't mean I have to enjoy it. That doesn't no. mean I can't feel uncomfortable with it. And it doesn't mean I'm going to watch it. So um, it's just I feel like there are crazy conversations around this topic. And uh, I, I always try to understand the other viewpoint. But sometimes it is hard for me in situations like that. And, yeah, I think Flair is the most difficult because WWF, to give them some credit, mm. at one point they were giving out contracts that kind of gave people some money. You know, and it was not it's not on camera stuff, but Ric Flair's always gonna need more money than you give him, and he's always gonna be need to be on camera. I don't know what you do about that, but you know, I think the different levels of I think there are some cases where it's the companies like why did you bring them back? Like you don't have to bring them back. You don't have to keep feeding this. Like Jake Roberts at his worst time, and then companies are still bringing him in even though he can't function. Scott Hall the same way. Yeah. Um, but then there are times where it's just if one company doesn't do it, they're going to end up somewhere else. And like, I don't know who it is that wants to see some of these things, but I don't know how we got off down that road. But, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure either. Yeah, it, it, certainly in some cases, I don't blame the promoter. And, you know, we have our beef with WWE. But, yeah, they gave up those contracts. You know, they've helped people go to rehab. You know, they, they've they've kind of helped solve some of these problems and maybe they help create them, too. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, at least they did something. So uh, I'll just maybe wrap this up by saying I saw on Twitter somebody said they were inspired to go train to be a wrestler because they watched the movie The Wrestler. And I cannot imagine missing the point of a movie more <laughs> than hearing that statement like 
I don't know. Like on some level, I get it because if you kind of if you're called to be a wrestler, then I think you're gonna be a wrestler anyway. But man, if you watch the wrestler and you're like, I want that life, holy shit! <laughs> like that's so crazy to me. Yeah. So just man, if you're thinking of training to be a wrestler out there, more power to you. Give it a try, but man, be careful because that is a crazy, crazy life. And uh, I don't know. I I don't know how anyone can uh, kind of tolerate that life. But more power to you, I guess, if you can. Yeah, that's a good narrative if you get over though, because it's like sure. I, I saw the worst of the business and it made me want to get in there. Like that, that that's an intimidation factor oh. against your opponent. Oh my god, it's probably a good way to get over with the fans too. It's like I I will sacrifice my <laughs> life and my health just to be a wrestler. You know, love me, love <laughs> me, please. Oh my god, that scares me a little bit. Yeah. They'll never love you for more than five minutes either. So oh. good luck. Okay, we got to talk about SummerSlam. <laughs> yes. So Vince McMahon has rid himself of Jesse Ventura, which means he is free to make the most absurd calls about matches all night long if he wants to. <laughs> oh, man, it's a babyface blowout here. Anyone who thinks that baby privilege is not real and uh, that, that babyface should run the show, just listen to all this commentary, listen to the way they act out with no consequence. Um, oh man, there, there's some commentary stuff I will have to call out here. Yeah, you could take, you could do a drinking game where Vince McMahon complains about rules or illegal activity in matches. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, it's the Vince McMahon, um, power hour for sure. He just, he's, he has no opposition at all in that booth. My god. So we get a mad, this is a hot crowd. They are dead for a few things. It's a weird thing because it's one of the hottest crowds. Yeah. Uh, though from for a lot of the show, like Piper gets a massive ovation that flows right into the Rockers uh, coming out. So uh, <laughs> hey, they're in Philadelphia, man. This crowd is going to be hot, hot, hot like crazy. They're not yet at the point where uh, they're booing the baby faces. Maybe this show helped them get there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but we'll see. I remember uh, in a year or two of Halloween Havoc here, and uh, they'll definitely be into booing the baby faces by that time. So we are getting close to that era. Yeah, absolutely. We're on the heels of a lot of things. Like ECW is about three years away, so yeah. you know there's a there's a lot going on. The Rockers and Power. This is Power and Glory, the debut in the Legacy series of um, Roma and Hercules together. Absolutely, Hercules is a heel again. He is paired with Paul Roma and Slick again, who once sold his contract to Bobby Heenan for a literal pile of money many years ago. Um, I, I kind of like Power and Glory. I think uh, we've been down on Paul Roma at times, but I think in a uh, kind of mid-card level tag team that is not the Horseman, uh, he's very serviceable. So, uh, I don't know. I'm looking forward to this Power and Glory stuff. I think it'll be good. And I'll just say up front, this match um, is kind of an unusual match, but in some ways it's probably my favorite on the whole card. Like, there's some really good stuff in here. And part of that, yeah, is Power and Glory. They actually do a very good job here. I loved this match because I like stories. I like for the match to be storied. It doesn't have to always be a technical. It blows my mind because I think there was a opening match that we were supposed to uh, see as one of the greatest of all time that we both just kind of missed on. I can't remember if it was Bulldogs versus Heart Foundation or something like that. And whatever it was, I'm sure it was long and technical and brilliant and beautiful. This here is a uh, two-on-one matchup because at the beginning of the match, uh, Shawn Michaels needs surgery, so we have Hercules take him out with a chain. He's laying on the floor, but it becomes a storied match. It becomes, can Shawn Michaels get up? Can he get in the ring? Can Marty Jannetty withstand? 
uh, how much beating can power and glory put on these guys. So there's a lot going on, and the crowd is hot for it, and it's the first match. It is the exact kind of reception that you want for a first match on a pay-per-view. Yeah, I believe uh, two years ago, if I recall, at the first SummerSlam, they opened up with the British Bulldogs and the Rougeau brothers. Oh, there 20 is. minutes together. And yes, a very middling match, in my opinion, that was liked quite a bit. This match blows that one out of the water. And man, it can't be more than what? What do you think? Like six six minutes, yeah. maybe, total? Yeah. Something like that. So, I love this. Um, Hercules, indeed, attacks Shawn Michaels before the match. Seemingly uh, blows out his knee. And the whole match is predicated around that. And I don't mean Shawn Michaels, like, tags in and he's selling his knee. No, I mean, it is blown out. He can't even get in the ring. Every time he tries to get in the ring, somebody kicks him in the knee again, and he falls over. Marginetti is by himself, fighting for all he's worth, waiting for that comeback. The fans are waiting for the comeback, and it never comes. And I love that. Uh, in the, the LOPforums.com uh, column section, we just had the great Mavsman return and uh, write a few columns. And he's a great writer. If you have not checked him out, you should. But he wrote about his love of basketball and some things that happen in basketball that never really happen in wrestling, and they should. And one of those things is the blowout. And I love to see that when it does happen in wrestling because it is so rare, yet it is so logical. It is a great story. And I loved it here. It was done excellently. That is beautifully said because it is astounding that Shawn Michaels never comes back. Yeah. It does not happen. And it's beautiful because it doesn't because you expect it. And yet it can't always happen like that. But it has to happen like that sometimes. And I love the fact we're not sophisticated enough to lay a cameraman down on the floor, put the camera on the floor so we can look at every line in his face and watch his suffering throughout the match. We have to almost see him off camera. We have to wonder. We have to be curious. We have to expect that any minute there's going to be two people in the ring against Marty Jannetty. And, oh, my goodness, the guy with the bad knee flies off the top rope and does a drop kick on both of them. But, no, it does not happen. When he tries to get up, he gets knocked back down. And then he just stays down because sometimes, folks, you don't get back up i love that i love how this match totally defies your expectation of what it's gonna be i think it's worked perfectly i don't know if sean had some real issue or not they just did it for the sake of the story doesn't matter because either way they executed this in a way that was really just excellent they appealed tremendously to the man in me that loves to see expectations subverted, who loves to see storylines play out in unusual yet logical ways. You have a match like this, and man, you can't do a match like this all the time, but how much credence does this give later on when some babyface is able to make a comeback? If they do it every time, it's not special. So you've got to have stuff like this, and I think it should happen more than it does, to be honest. So there's some very very good bones to a match like this. Yeah, and there's two more things about it. How good does it make power and glory look coming out the gate mm. that they can do something like this? They can put you down and you don't come back from it. Like That is a great way to get a team over. Yeah. And number two, even though it doesn't connect directly, it's fascinating to me that a team that's going to break up and one's going to throw the other guy through a window, like a team that just isn't going to work. One of them can't get up for the other. And yes, it's physically impossible. and You can't blame him there. But there's something storied and symbolic about 
teams that always find a way to make it work versus a team that when one of them is down, there's not enough of them together that the other one can get back up for them. It is a sign of things to come. And it's also fascinating that Sean can't get up for Marty. But, yeah, it's going to be Sean who's going to blame Marty later on. And that's also a Sean Michaels thing to do and a certain kind of person thing to do. And we're going to see that play out not that long from now. Indeed. In uh, a little over a year, I think, uh, the Rockers will break up over not a whole lot more than this. They, they will have a lot of recriminations for each other. Uh, they will have a lot of issues with each other. And, uh, yeah, I mean, um, not being there for your partner for one reason or another that's the thing that can kind of break a tag team up real easy. It's not going to happen yet. And yet, perhaps memories of this match will abide in the subconscious and uh, create problems down the line. This just popped into my head. Because we got Shawn Michaels laying on the floor and not able to get back up. So while they're fighting, uh, as the breakup is ongoing, Shawn Michaels, I believe, is going to be wrestling Ric Flair on a weekend show and Marty Jannetty is going to come out to help Shawn Michaels. And the way he does it is he picks Shawn Michaels up off of the floor that we see him on tonight and rolls him in the ring. <laughs> oh, my. That um, for some reason, that gives me vibes of Sting limping down on his stupid crutches. Like mm. <laughs> sometimes your help is not actually a help at all, buddy. So just stay in the back. Maybe that would be better. Yeah, no, nobody wants to be rolled into the ring against their own readiness. Right. And that doesn't make sense, but perhaps Marty Jannetty is remembering a Shawn Michaels who, when he falls on the floor, can't get back up. <laughs> that is a great, great connection. I love that. Maybe we'll be able to see that at some point. Yes. That, that would be good stuff. Whew. Oh, man. Um, so, yeah, this is a super fun match. I recommend it very highly. It's very chaotic. Um, there's a lot of great bits where, yeah, Michaels is cut off at the pass. He never even gets in the game. Uh, Power and Glory, they really do a number on Janetti. Janetti puts in a great showing as well. Yeah. I will definitely say that. So, uh, all in all, I'm a really big fan of this match. I hope you will watch it. And, uh, as Roddy Piper says, it's the Mick Jagger and David Bowie of the WWF here taking on Power and Glory. So take that for what you will. Yeah, it's an interesting night, too, for, already for the booth. Uh, Riley Piper will explain to Vincent Mann many times that you do get a five count uh, in the ring uh, when you make a tag, and Vincent Mann will continually ignore it. Uh, there will be a time where uh, he'll say to Vince McMahon, um, you've got to admit that was great tag wrestling by Power and Glory, and there is complete silence and then a beat or two, and Vince says, this is a handicap match. That's what this is. <laughs> So there's no give, there's no conversation. Vince McMahon, he's getting closer to the Vince McMahon that I, I grew up with, which is one who is just firmly on that road because there's no, you got to be dominant in a way that Piper is a great wrestler. He's a brawler. He grew up fighting, but there's a different kind of authority, a rhetorical authority and ethos that Jesse Ventura has. And you got to have that, I think, to even put a dent in this man, Vince McMahon's uh, narrative. Indeed, Ventura was uh, uniquely well-suited to do so, and I think, uh, well, we're definitely in an era where they will find out again and again and again and again um, that uh, a great wrestler and even a great talker is not necessarily a great color commentator. I don't know if they realized how lucky they were with Ventura and Bobby Heenan as the first two that they tried. Now, uh, I don't hate Piper on commentary. I think he has his moments. I'm going to have nothing but praise for him at a certain moment about a year from now at the next SummerSlam. 
and I think he does okay on this show as well. But uh, my God, he's no Ventura. You know, he's not even in the same um, ballpark or in the same level at all as a guy like Ventura. Yeah. According to something to Russell, when they were going to hire him, they sat him down and talked to him about the fact that there's worries that he won't be able to put other people over, that he'll simply be putting himself over. And I see that with Savage and Piper. I don't think they do it on purpose, but that's what they're paid to do. That's what they do for a living. I thought Piper did better than I expected. There's going to be moments I'll praise him. There's going to be one theme that to me is just utterly stupid that I'll get to later. So it's kind of back and forth. But who's going to fill in for Jesse Ventura? Like, who are you going to bring in cold that is going to make up for the Vincent Man Jesse Ventura relationship? Yeah, it, it just can't happen. Bobby Heenan is too invested in, uh, I mean, he's in the two, like, big title matches tonight. So he, he can't be in that booth. You got to bring in somebody. I don't know. Um, I don't know where Gorilla Monsoon is at this time. They they probably could have run Vince and Monsoon, and it still would have been baby faces forever, but uh, maybe someone more experienced in that role. I don't know. I think they probably wanted to figure out someone to replace Ventura long-term and thought maybe it was Piper. Uh, he will get plenty of chances, but obviously he'll never be the guy. No, nah, he will not. I also want to say real quick a couple of things. I love that superplex followed by the splash. Oh, the power flex. Yes. Yeah. Awesome, Matt. Uh, awesome move. I really enjoy that. Uh, power and glory is really good stuff, actually. I, I have uh, really only good things to say about the team. Uh, if anything, they will not get as much as they probably could have done, which seems to be the theme for our poor man Hercules here. Yeah. It's also the epitome of turned him inside out with a clothesline where Paul Roma holds more Janetti and Hercules just runs through him. So <laughs> check that out if you get a chance. But, yeah, this to me um, – Again, if you like story and you like kind of that ongoing, real feeling, that authentic stuff, this match is this is how I want my shows to kick off as far as live crowd reaction, investment in the match, wondering what's happening, storied, uh, storied moments in the match. So this is a great one and I highly recommend it. Love it. It's my favorite match of the night. Uh, consensus says. The tag title match is the best match of the night. I did enjoy that, but uh, this one, th this was on a special level to me. Um, a match does not have to be long. It does not have to be filled with uh, swings and momentum. It does not have to be filled with uh, elaborate moves. Uh, sometimes it can just be a short match with a great story. And uh, there are some great moves in here. I really got to praise Janetti and Power and Glory for really putting in some great action. But, yeah, I mean, the crowd's hot. I was hot. It's just a great match. It's my favorite thing, really, on the whole card, I think. It really makes me wonder if baby faces would have more character if more of them were not able to get up mm. by, by physical limitation, even if their will was to get up. I think there's lessons to be learned there. <laughs> I cannot stop thinking about when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside. Guess what? It came crashing down on Shawn Michaels in this <laughs> yes. match. It hurt inside in a way that it is not going to hurt at the main event of this show, at either of the main events, and the, the difference is very palpable. Absolutely. And it, it looks like we are on our way to an amazing decade when we get this kind of matchup with a new team like Power and Glory. Mm -hmm. We get the Rockers, and then we go straight to Intercontinental Champion Kurt Hennig. Like, things are looking good right now. Yeah, I mean, uh, the things that WWF is doing well, maybe those uh, shallow roots spreading out, across the uh, yeah. the promotion, uh, you could definitely see there's some great things on the horizon here. 
uh, or at least there should be, you know, some will pan out, some will not, but, uh, still, yeah, I agree. It's looking very good in many respects here. The funny thing is, and we'll get to it, but what feels like the lowest point, not only subjectively, but maybe objectively is where they're going to invest everything for the next six to nine months. <laughs> yep. You are correct. Oh my God. I can't, Whew, we'll talk about that. When we get to that, we're in the good stuff right now. <laughs> yes. So, uh, it was going to be Brutus the Barber Beefcake. He's not there. So Texas Tornado with like 10 days notice is going to get into this matchup. And that's kind of the theme as Heenan and Mr. Perfect talk to Gene, or talk, excuse me, talk to Sean Mooney. Uh, Perfect says when you're a perfect champion, challenges are few and far between. Bobby Heenan gets into the elements a little bit saying, I know a lot about the Texas Tornado. Uh, when you got your head in the clouds, you don't have your feet on the ground. <laughs> Yep, he is calling on the elements a little. I think uh, perhaps um, the reason things are not going to go their way is they have uh, misinterpreted the the Texas Tornado as an air element, when I think uh, surely he's got to be fire. But um, we'll get into that in a moment here. Uh, yes, we do have an unexpected challenger for the title. Uh, not only Jesse Ventura departing before this show, Brutus Beefcake, as well, is not going to be seen for a long time, and it is for a much sadder reason, yet I feel bad, but I cannot help but express a little bit of relief on that. There have been few guys as hard to watch, as hard to enjoy as Brutus Beefcake. I am glad on a personal level that he made a recovery from a very severe personal injury he experienced, and yet simply as a wrestling fan, I'm not going to miss having him around, that's for sure. Yeah, I do not want him in my storylines. I would suggest on a personal level, if you ever want to know what he went through there, I don't know which something to wrestle episode, but they talk in detail about what his recovery was like and what his face was like and what he went through. And it is, I don't know how you, how you stay alive. So on that level, I, I give him respect. Certainly. Yeah. I mean, um, it's the same with Jim Duggan recovering from cancer. You know, I may not like the performer, but God, I don't wish any ill on him in that kind of way. I'm glad these guys came out of these problems they had uh, without, um, you know, they were able to still have really good lives afterwards on a personal level. So, yes, definitely glad about that. I will say that in the world of the WWF, there are two ways to bury somebody. You bury them or you push them. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how much the Texas tornado. Why I don't even yet know when he leaves, why he leaves or when his push stops. But we'll get into it. I don't know if it's yet time to make him run through Mr. Perfect, but we'll figure it out as we go. Uh, Gene Oakland is uh, with the Texas tornado. Um, they're talking about uh, storm systems and things. And earthquakes not even out yet, so weather and 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 problems and things are everywhere with the WWF. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Texas Tornado, kind of a bit of a weird looking guy when I got yeah. a real close look at him. So I, I don't know what to make of that exactly. Uh, I will say, with the Texas Tornado, yeah, he, he, you know, no spoiler. I think he he is going to win the Intercontinental Title here. I don't know if he was maybe exactly well-suited to that role. Certainly, he's a guy who had a lot of success in Texas. Um, he did have a certain kind of ability. Uh, there are some similarities with Ultimate Warrior. I think he is ultimately a lot more keyed in than Warrior in certain ways. I like the Texas Tornado. Um, he probably was not going to be the guy to supplant Mr. Perfect, and we will see. He will lose that title back to him um, before terribly long. 
But uh, I don't know. Often when WWF is faced with an unexpected situation, they will actually do something unexpected. So I will say that I don't think anyone really expected Tornado to win here. They did do something that was kind of out of the formula, out of the mold a little bit. And uh, overall, I think I like that decision. You know, I really don't have a problem with what went down here. I enjoyed this. Yeah, I like the story of the match that we're getting to in a moment. Mm-hmm. I just I can't imagine looking at Texas Tornado and thinking that Vincent Man thought this was gonna be a top guy because he just looks like he's from a world that isn't sports entertainment. When I look at him, <laughs> uh, and then you also got the fact that it's just strange in my mind that Warrior is the world champion and Texas Tornado kind of looks like him. And Warrior was always the IC champion, and then we're gonna make Texas Tornado the IC champion while Warrior is the world champion. It's weird, but I think either, like you said. Either they're going for a big surprise because their backs were against the wall, or they were going to have Beefcake win, and they're just like, oh, he was going to win, so this guy's going to win. So <laughs> I, either way, I think it's one of those two. God, I do think Beefcake was probably going to win, so we can maybe all thank our lucky stars as wrestling fans that that did not happen. Um yeah, I, I don't know what it was exactly. Maybe there's some explanation for that out there. I'm not going to listen to Bruce Pritchard to hear it, but uh, he may provide it at some point. Um, end of the day... I, I do kind of like Carrie, and uh, obviously not as much as Mr. Perfect, but uh, I did enjoy this match, so I'm really just going to keep thinking positive about it for the time being. Mr. Perfect makes this match happen because oh, he comes in yes. as the arrogant champion who is just ticked off that he even has to entertain this matchup in, with a 10-day notice with a, a newcomer like Texas Tornado. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Perfect is so great. Definitely one of the greatest people in the company right now, in my opinion. Um, The attitude that he projects is great. Uh, We've talked before about how uh, he acts so sure of himself that you think he was in the main event, even though he he doesn't really have quite exactly the right build for it. Um, And yet, yeah, as soon as he gets in here, uh, Carrie has got the power, but Hennig makes that power with his bumping. I praise his bumping time and time again. I will do it again here. Um, this is very fun stuff. I, I really enjoyed what they did here together, and I would say it's not even close to their best match together. So perhaps we will revisit them in bonus material and maybe see even more of what they can do. Yeah, the entire story is told in the first three um, exchanges. Where first tornado throws Hennig, who gets tied in the ropes. He gets thrown so hard. And then Hennig realizes, hey, you know what? I'm just I like I'm not taking you seriously, but you want you want to make yourself known. And then Hennig just starts throwing him around with hip tosses and just kind of making a fool out of him. And that is the whole story of the match is I don't take you seriously. I'm better than you. What are you going to do about it? And eventually he'll do something about it. Yep, he, he finds out exactly what he's going to do about it as this match progresses. Um, so, yeah, very good stuff in the ring. Uh, we get a lot of Roddy Piper being all over Bobby Heenan, being uh, very critical of uh, pretty much everything he does and just his entire existence. Uh, it's a nice piece of continuity. It is maybe a little more mean-spirited than you would hear from someone like Gorilla Monsoon, so uh, your mileage may vary on that. But uh, certainly it is an aspect of this match that I picked up on. Yeah, Piper asked a lot of questions that all, that almost could bring down the whole World Wrestling Federation. It's like, why why do people need managers? They they don't know what it's like to be in there. They're standing out there. What can they say? I mean, you know, like he'll ask questions throughout the night. That I can't wait till we get to Warrior on that regard. But like, I can see them going out of business after one night, and they're like, Piper poked holes in the entire everything they were built on by accident. <laughs> I can definitely see that. It's unfortunate we didn't have Jesse Ventura to retort. Well, how many titles have you won, Roddy yeah. Piper? 
So maybe they do know something that you don't know. Yes. I love to, I have to recant something I have said my whole life because this is how good Mr. Perfect is or how bad. Well, Mr. Perfect gets tornado in the corner. He says, I'm Mr. Perfect, the IC champion. That's who you're in the ring with. And I wrote it down because I loved it because it's like so intimidating. It feels authentic. But all my life narrating the match in the ring is a Triple H thing to me. Like he, he made a whole career at times off of this thing where I felt like there was no heat. There was nothing going on. So his way of doing it was to tell me about it. And I hated it. And I've always said I hate people narrating. But yet when Mr. Perfect was doing it, I didn't even realize it. And I was writing down how much I liked it. <laughs> I mean, nine times out of ten, yes, the uh, in-ring narration trope is a bad one. And it's one that is kind of uh, taken off a bit. And it's just it, it's not for me. You know, show, don't tell. For God's yes. sakes, that's the first rule. And yet with Mr. Perfect, it. There's something different to it because he's not telling you, he's not trying to narrate something that's not getting across. He's just so deeply into this character. And part of his character is he wants to tell you, like, he's Mr. Perfect. He named himself that. Like, he wants yeah. it to be so obvious and he's so cocky. He's going to just, you know, tell you about it as he's showing you about it. Like, he'll do both. So there's something in the execution and the character just makes it work. Uh, Mr. Perfect, a, an excellent top-tier trash talker. To me, it's an entirely different thing than, uh, yes, what some other people might do when they put a lot of words into their match. Yeah, nine times out of ten, to me, it is trying to make up for something you otherwise should have done that's not there. This felt like almost the camera got too close, and you're, you're seeing what is actually happening versus a performance for the story and the, and the, and the show. Mm, yep, absolutely. I think part of the reason is it works is it's like it doesn't really matter if you overhear it or not. You really think that Mr. Perfect would be saying it anyway. Yes. So, you know, there's just a, a level of authenticity to it that makes it work. So we got that. Then we got um, an arm bar by uh, Texas Tornado. And he starts throwing these over like from on high shots to the arm. And uh, it's very uh, Tatanka like, my friend. We got three years till Tatanka <laughs> will be here. So just wanted to remind folks where we are in our timeline. I was never into Tatanka. I guess uh, I'll try him again when we get to him. But uh, I'll, I'll take the Texas Tornado, please, over Tatanka any day of the week. I did see a video, and I won't get into this because we are everywhere on the show. But it was interesting that um, I can't remember who it was, but it was claiming that both Tatanka and, and Lex Luger never recovered when they made the choices, WWF, that they made at SummerSlam 94 for Tatanka to turn and Luger to stay. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm not as familiar with 94, so I can't necessarily speak to that. I will just say, did Tatanka really have, um, a lot to recover in the first place? Cause I, I know some people were into him, but, uh, he never seemed crazy popular to me when I was watching through 93. So I don't know, maybe I missed something. Maybe I underrated him just from my personal bias. I don't know. We'll see when we get there. Yeah, we'll see when we get there. Uh, we get the old school kind of, we get the claw from Tornado and then spinning and, and throwing that punch. It comes out of nowhere and it comes quick and the match is over, Miss Finn. Indeed, it's very unexpected. and I just have to say it's a very nice touch, whether intentional or coincidental, that it is in fact Mr. Perfect who becomes a tornado when he is mm. punched at the end. He, he spins like a top in that ring. He goes down and we do get the unexpected Intercontinental Championship victory of Kerry Von Erich. And uh, 
I appreciate that because you could almost expect a guy. I mean, he's from the South. He was successful in another territory. It's 1990. He could have come in and just kind of been like thrown out the window right away. But for whatever reason, he is getting that title. He is getting recognition. And uh, I appreciate that. I I enjoy that. And I think this was a fun match. Yeah. He's lucky the Red Rooster gimmick had already been issued. I think so. (laughs) You know. Oh, no kidding. I'm glad they didn't do up his hair like a tornado or something. So, you know, we we will thank God for uh, blessings. Yeah, Mr. Perfect 2 is just the type that can be maybe the best in-ring worker in the company at the time and can, can get flat beat with a claw and a punch because he's that arrogant about his style. <laughs> he's that great. He'll put it over. He'll get it over. He'll he'll just make it look great. So uh, I got nothing, nothing but love for Mr. Perfect in this era. We are now about to begin my favorite thing in all of professional wrestling, and it's going to hit twofold in the next segment. So Gene Okerlund is in the back. I, I love the SummerSlam backdrop for where the interview's at. It reminds yeah. me of my childhood, too, so we're getting really into that feel, that place. But he's going to talk to Sapphire, but the problem is she's not there. Oh, man. Isn't there – I feel there, there's something before that that I really got to focus what on. Um, after this Intercontinental title match, Gene Okerlund is indeed backstage. But first, Bobby Heenan blows into the scene, and he is emotional beyond uh, this what This happens after. Does it? I, yeah. Hmm. Because what? Gene Okerlund says, I plan okay. to talk to Sapphire, but for some reason, uh, she's not available. And then uh, they're going to come crashing into the scene i see i see i mixed up my notes a little bit there okay so yes he's looking to come to sapphire she's not there that's a a question mark that is going to uh, go through the night for sure so i'm sorry i messed up your flow there but uh, you are correct but those are both my points anyway is that number (laughs) one just like we talked about with Shawn michaels not getting back in the ring guess what with with all these feuds and grudges and things going on, there's going to be a time where someone's not going to make it to their interview. That should happen, and I love that that happens because it's going to represent an unfolding mystery and story all night. But the second thing that brings authenticity is if you're standing back there and you got a microphone and someone just got beat and they are irate, they might stumble into the scene because they don't just disappear because they're not on the show anymore. So I love the fact that we start the Sapphire story and I love the fact that just bursting into the scene are the people who just lost in the last match, even though this is not their segment. Yeah, wonderful point. I would say uh, one of the areas this SummerSlam succeeds in is feeling very interconnected. Maybe mm-hmm. that's those roots growing together that you were talking about. Um, yeah, Okerland has no one to interview, and so uh, his interview is taken over by Bobby Heenan, who is so emotional. He's exploding in every direction. He says the Texas tornado broke every rule in the book. He is nearly crying as he tells the story of the match. Mr. Perfect is there as well, and he cuts a great fired-up promo of his own about how he is going to reclaim the title. This is really a beautiful performance by both of these guys. Perfect and Heenan, they put it all on the line emotionally here, and uh, it is lovely to see it. Yeah, I I love how irate they are. I love the promos, but there's a little touch. Heenan's saying that he got thrown into the post, and he's talking about there's a lump on his head. And there's just something so genuine, like... 
who would know better than the guy coming from the ring? I don't just have a lump on my head. You can't see it. We're not going to cut to it. I got hair over the top of it, but I am me and I was there and I have a lump on my head. What does that mean? Man, that was an Arn Anderson tear line. Yes. And I don't say that lightly. That was a beautiful line right there. It was because he's the liar because he's the heel, you would think. But like when, when a man who like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, what wrestlers put on the line, if the guy that was in there tells me that he's got a lump on his head until I know otherwise, I'm going to take him at his word. And it is. It's exactly what you said. It's an Arn Anderson line. And it just it just hits. And those are the things I'm talking about in this show. And they will go away eventually but while they are going i had a moment where i was like a genius book this show and then later on i was like this is the dumbest stuff i've ever seen in my life <laughs> it is shocking and i don't know what the divide is there um you know if this is a pat patterson you know partial influence thing or uh i know jake roberts was looking to get into kind of the creative side around this time um i i don't even know who is all the voices in the back at this point but there's some stuff that really works tremendously well in the show and there's some stuff that just like you could just turn off wrestling forever and be like okay that's fine that was the reason you know that that was the signal for me to go yes the beginning of the show reminds me of everything that made me a fan the the second half of the show is why i would quit wrestling you, there's not a lot in between there it's, it's an it's an interesting night from a company who obviously don't, don't they don't know fully who they want to be it really is, yeah. You talk about things to to, to behold. Um, if you wanted to make a, a case for Sherry being the goat, there are some moments on this show. Like, she is just ridiculous, and she's about to take on Sapphire. So let's talk about this. Like, Sherry, <laughs> I, I don't know if I've ever seen anyone more invested in my life than Sherry. I'll put it that way. Oh, my God, yes. She's from another dimension of investment um, and aesthetic-wise. Also from another dimension. She's from where the Ultimate Warrior wishes he was from. Mm. I'll just say that, for God's sake. Sherry is in the ring. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Sherry is in the ring, and she has the most incredible look that I think I have ever seen in my life. She's got a mask. She's got, like, face paint running all down her neck. She really looks like she crawled out of God knows, like, a hp lovecraft story or something um just the outfit the look man if you wanted to call her the goat just based on how she's dressed here like i would be like okay yeah like i'll I'll accept that argument oh my god she is a she is top tier on this show in her look in her attitude everything she does yes yes all praise to sherry so there's uh something i never thought about till you were saying that there's, a, there's an interesting thing throughout the night where if you want to know about a world where heels and baby faces don't speak, every heel seems to know why we can't find Sapphire and every baby face seems to have no idea. <laughs> there's some wonderful organization uh, between the heels here and you can really feel that heel locker room coming into effect. And man, they don't spill those secrets to the baby face. So that there, there's something really good going on there. Yeah, it, it just... If you want to be afraid of Sherry, she, <laughs> this, this, this outfit and this, this, this makeup that looks like it would take a long time to do, it pops, it's terrifying, it's, it's, it's making a statement. And it just hit me while you were talking. She probably already knows 
Sapphire's not coming out. So she did all of that work to come out for a match that's not going to happen. I Be honestly afraid. believe Sherry sits at home like that. Um, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the the things that Sherry has to do and the decision Sherry makes about how she looks, I don't think they're connected at all. Because like in the last match we saw her in, she was not dressed to wrestle. She didn't care. She yeah. came out in whatever aesthetic she felt like. Like Sherry is a force unto herself. Like her world is richer than anything you could imagine. It's richer than the whole WWF, I think. Her inner life seems to be. So I, I got nothing but love for, for the antics of Sherry Martel. There's also something beautiful because maybe this is one of the first times they've done something like this. I feel like what they did to show that Sapphire is not there, you would get fired if you did it in WWF now. So <laughs> I love Dusty Rose theme music, and we're going to get it three times. So we're going to get the music. There's no Sapphire. Let's play the music again. There's no Sapphire. Somebody comes from the back. Let's play it again. Like It really feels like SummerSlam is losing its time. And you might think, like, oh, this is like, – this is um, – this is show business. Like, why would they make bad decisions? But from what we like from wrestling, if you can't figure out, you know, you're going to give someone opportunities if you think they're coming out. And I would rather see, this is why I, maybe I was an NWA guy more than WWF. I would rather see it look sloppy for an authentic reason mm. than for it to see it look clean for reasons that hurt the story. Absolutely. This is the small version of WCW. Uh, dynamiting an entire episode of Nitro and just turning their card into shambles to get over the NWO. And that wonderful, wonderful episode that we covered a long time ago. This is a small version of that. You uh, create this mystery by giving up something because you're going to get something better in return down the line. And it, it's great stuff. It's great booking. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's so fascinating. And then that maniac Sherry grabs the microphone and does the 10 count and then screams at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I cannot stress. Sherry was just out there by herself. No one even comes out in this segment. And she just steals the show all alone. Like, Sherry, I cannot stress enough. You've got to see this look. You've got to see the way she acts. Sensational Sherry. Man, they named her the right thing. She is le legitimately sensational. Mm -hmm. I agree a thousand percent. Uh, this is, I, nothing happens in this, and I highly, I highly recommend you watching it. <laughs> oh, this nothing is much better than some of the things that do happen later on. So, <laughs> on the same part though, I feel like next up, genius with Dusty Rhodes, and I feel like Dusty Rhodes put in an MVP performance on this night as well. What a night for Dusty Rhodes! Definitely his best night that we have seen. Maybe his best night that he's going to have in our coverage of the WWF. Because he will do two things that are incredible to me, and he will do the first one of them here. Um, Okerlund will ask Dusty about what's going on. Dusty will say, Sapphire disappeared after they showed up to the building together. Uh, he asked Jim Duggan for help, which was a terrible choice. That's not the great thing he did. But when Okerlund mentions the expensive gifts that Sherry has been receiving on TV leading up to this event, Dusty does an amazing thing for a baby face. He is just happy that Sapphire is happy, and we do not often see baby faces being happy for people besides themselves. So he really shows the goodness of his character here and uh, shows some genuine love for Sapphire. And that is awesome. It's going to make it even more poignant later on when we find out what happened. That is a great take. And I got another quote that goes with that. that is just as much a not baby face thing. 
He says, first of all, rightly and brilliantly, I'm worried because nobody gets something for nothing, but that's none of my business. Oh, the fact that a baby face would ever <laughs> say that something is not their business, that's like heroic above and beyond yeah. the baby faced here. We need a new word for that kind of good guy because baby face is not it. Yeah, this is beautiful. This opened up a whole new Dusty Rose for me because he's always been known as a talker, but like he's been known as a promo guy, like the hard times promo. Have you seen the hard times promo that you hear that promo? This is not simply promo because this is real time. Hacksaw Jim Duggan, I think, had has just had his greatest moment in the Legacy series he'll ever have as he wanders on the screen. And Dusty Rose says, Hacksaw, have you seen Sapphire? He says, no, but we're looking for it and keeps looking. Like, I love the that they're all back there looking because, like, he's already looked out the whole building and the specificity, like, 10 minutes in and she disappeared. So, like, he was with her for 10 minutes. Like, that's those small touches. But then this is some real time stuff because, again, we're talking about all the things that would happen on a show if a show was an authentic thing. Sometimes you don't get back up. Sometimes this, sometimes that. Dusty has to leave because he has to start back looking for her. Like, I don't have all the time in the world is a real thing happening. But so he's doing the kind of promos that it took me a long time to adjust to, you know, around early 2000 when you start having more of these. We're having a conversation like two people are talking. It's not necessarily a promo, but he's so good at it. Like I could see him in the attitude era with Mr. McMahon and Steve Austin and just doing that stuff because he excels at this just like he excels at everything. MVP performance from Dusty Rhodes. And if you like the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, you got to check out all this stuff that happens in the back at SummerSlam. It's a great night for the backstage area. I'll definitely say that. They do some wonderful things back there. Um, And, yeah, Dusty in the Attitude Era, man, that would have killed. There's no doubt about that. Um, It's great. It's very interconnected, like we talked about before. You do feel like uh, rather than – Something we've talked many times, we don't like it when every wrestler is like in their own bubble of their own feud and they can never interact and they barely exist in the same place. Uh, this is very much the opposite of that. This is everybody is in the same building. They're at the same event. They know each other. They interact with each other. Things can interlock. They can interact in interesting ways. This is very much that. And I, I'm a huge fan of that. I kind of need that for my wrestling promotion or, uh, or I'm only going to get so far. Yeah, it's an amazing thing. You talk about trees that grow in groves. A lot of times when you're not the million dollar man and you don't have all the resources that you need, you know, community drives you. It's not one individual or one family. It's a community. So it's funny to me that Dusty Rhodes would have pull from the whole community to try to figure this thing out. Whereas a Ted DiBiase is just sitting somewhere waiting for his cue to do his very little like singular thing that he's going to do later on. <laughs> he's probably laughing that laugh as he watches this segment yeah. backstage. And man, that's, that's a cruel thing to even think about because Dusty, he's legitimately worried here. And man, there's just, there's some real emotion in some of these scenes, man. I'm really yes. feeling it. And they talk about it here. Yeah, it is. It reminds me of being a teenager back when things were like we've talked about this before, like every relationship, like you've never had a breakup. You've never been hurt. You've never been deceived. You've never been shocked. Like everything is like a first time. And I feel like like the baby, the heels know for a fact because they paid attention. and They talk. I think the baby faces know, but they don't want to know. So it's this slow burn to like 
if I search enough, if I try enough, if I show enough, I can make the narrative that's about to unfold not be the narrative that's about to unfold. Mm. But you can't do that. Oh, man. Anyone who's uh, experienced some tension, some aspect of the unknown, knows that there's a period where you just don't know, and it could go either way, and you know it could turn out just fine, but you also know in the back of your mind the worst way it could turn out. I don't know. There's a lot of authenticity running around here. Yeah. I, I, oh, man. You think about, like, the old school. There's a baby face locker room, and there's a heel locker room. Uh, if she's not in the baby face locker room, and you've searched all the public places where do you think she is <laughs> gosh she's just hidden in some uh un, you know little nook and cranny that we yeah. we forgot to look in you know she she hurt her leg and her mouth yeah. and she can't call out and you know you'll think of anything almost because you don't want to think of the bad outcome so it blows my mind that the biggest storyline on the first pay-per-view in uh, Warriors title reign is based around the guy who we said should have been at WrestleMania. <laughs> yes, and by far the most effective storyline as well. I will say one thing, and then we'll jump back in. Um, felt sense is an amazing thing, because you can't take it for fact, you can't take it for gospel, but so many times, and this is what faith is made of too, like, I thought one of the dumbest thing that we ever could do in one way is like, I'm going to say Dusty Rhodes should be in the main event at WrestleMania six, you know, but that was the felt sense thing I felt. And these things start to materialize and they start to show themselves. Um, later on, I wrote down that either Gene or Sean Mooney is with the ultimate warrior. Cause it's the end of the show and they've killed enough time. I'm like, where is the cage match? And then Dusty Rhodes walks in, so I had to cross out the Ultimate Warrior's name to put Dusty Rhodes on my paper. <laughs> oh my, must be very satisfying. Um, yeah, it's it's wild also because, and I hate to even go back into this uh, Mobius loop, but clearly the WWF was capable of booking interesting storylines yeah. at this time because the proof is in front of us, and yet never. Will even the attempt be made to book one with the Ultimate Warrior, whose whole storyline with Rick Rude is, hey, Rick Rude beat you one time, and now he worked out a bunch, so maybe he'll beat you again, which, by the way, is not an interesting story. So, yeah, yeah. and I mean, I'm not even going to get into it, because we're just going to say, oh, well, could Ultimate Warrior have even done a storyline like this? No, he couldn't but they didn't even try, but he couldn't do it. So why did they do it in the first place? We've said it so many times, like, I can't even stomach the words anymore, hardly. And yet, you have to ask the questions, because I feel like I'm insane if I don't bring these things up. So it's just the, the bizarre nature of the main event of this time continues to run my head in circles. Uh, you, you said, I will not add anything to it, because then we'll get back to, well, why did they put him in the match? You know, so... <laughs> There are no answers. Just no more answers. They don't have the answers. Oh, you know. my God. So we're going to go back to the ring for a strange matchup, which kind of, uh, it was the first sign that the brakes might get pumped for me. Um, so Warlord and Tito, I'm glad to see Tito. Uh, I don't dislike the Warlord, but, man, he moves at his own pace, and, and no one will stop him. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think Tito had almost the exact same match with Barbarian at WrestleMania, so uh, he's definitely in his role here. 
Uh, the difference, of course, being the Barbarian is about a hundred times better than Warlord. And like you, I don't really dislike Warlord, but uh, yeah. he's not terribly impressive either. He's just kind of there. He is what he is. Um, yeah, I don't know. Tito gets a little bit of stuff here, but uh, of course, Warlord wins very decisively. And I was thinking about this versus the opening match. And you could say either one was maybe a blowout, and yet the difference is so big here, because here, there is no story, there was no strategy, there's no real reason the Warlord went over the way he did. You walk away from this match, and all you can really say is, well, I guess Tito Santana must be shit, because, like, he couldn't do anything against the Warlord. So, it's it's not a terrible match, but it's nothing that you wouldn't have guessed when you saw it on paper, and, uh... There's just no real reason to watch it. It kind of serves no purpose. Yeah. I forgot his finisher was the running slam, which is Davies. And they're also going to have a feud uh, sometime in this era. Very soon, I think. Maybe next WrestleMania, even. We'll, we'll have that. So, um, My only note of any interest in this is that at one point, Slick takes off his shoe. And this is the real condemnation of too much babyface commentary because Roddy Piper and Vince McMahon literally trip over each other trying to say that his foot stinks first. If you have two grown men who cannot even get the words out fast enough to talk about how another man stinks, those two men should check themselves immediately and just realize that they don't both need to be there. Yeah, especially Vince because Piper gets it first. And it's over, and then Vince says, I was going to say, and then just reiterates. <laughs> you know, so he, it's so weird. Like, this is the, and Vince is not doing a bad job. It's still Vince, no. but this is the this is the Vince I knew when I first got into this. Is just this unchecked Vince McMahon is the one I grew up with. It just <laughs> never says anything that makes any sense, but acts like it does. <laughs> I guess, yes, as he establishes his ultimate authority, in the booth, eventually that will bleed over to on screen, so maybe we can connect those two characters that way. At one point, he says to the warlord, "Those hard, big guns. He's big all over." And Piper just says, Is "That right?" <laughs> <laughs> and nobody says anything. Like, oh my! You gotta check this man, and it's his company. So eventually, he's gonna be in the back doing this to announcers. But the only thing that made it work, he needs someone who is as alpha or whatever it is that he is. Like he's never gonna just win over Jesse and I did not think about this till we till it happened, but the greatness of Jesse and Tara might show forth more in him being gone than him being there. Mm, it's possible. They will definitely never really find a way to replace him effectively. They will have to uh rely on different kinds of commentators. So Jesse Ventura definitely a very special type. I find this is what gives us Mr. McMahon, though, because Mm. this is where he was already being Mr. McMahon, but because of babyface privilege, we looked at it with a smile because he was doing it to the (laughs) heels. That's what I'm saying. We'll we'll connect this uh, perhaps more easily than I thought to his Mr. McMahon character. This, uh, you know, I have the authority and you don't, and the only difference is now we side with the other guy just because of uh, the way it's presented. But really, in actuality, it's not very different. So, yeah. So Warlord's going to get the victory uh, in a fairly short match, but that feels longer maybe than it was. <laughs> and then we're going to go to the back for two interviews with a bunch of candidates to be the next Doink the Clown, I believe. So Demolition, <laughs> Heart Foundation. Demolition's going to play a game of 
There's three of them, and only two can be at ringside, so you don't know. Is it going to be me, or is it going to be Axe? Is it going to be me, or is it going to be Smash? So uh, they're going to play that game in the Heart Foundation. Still, in 1990, Jim Neidhart is still in the Alice in Wonderland uh, gimmick. And I think Brett's a little slipping out of it slowly but surely. I believe you're right about that. I cannot stress enough. And this match, a lot of people really like this match, apparently. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't maybe like it as much as some did, but uh, it really bothers me that, like, there's there's nothing more evil that Demolition could do than have three members. Yeah. And nobody can tell them apart, even though I can tell them apart, and I don't even work with them every day. <laughs> and just, like, the whole premise of this match is weak, because they're like, oh, it's very tricky for Heart Foundation because they don't know which two guys it'll be. And I'm like, they all basically wrestle the same way. So it's not really like a mystery or very different. Like, what are you going to be like? Oh, this move would have worked. I could do a backbreaker to Axe, but I can't do one to Crush. And, oh, man, can I do my second <laughs> rope uh, elbow drop on this guy but not this guy? It's like there's nothing different, really, about these three guys. Like, I, I think they have a little bit of difference in their talent level, but it's not that pronounced that you have to like change your whole strategy so i don't know like the action of the match is pretty good the crowd is very into it um the structure is solid but the premise is just so lame that i have trouble really investing in this yeah all three men have different body types all three men have different hairstyles axe is hairy all over on his body the others are not you know there's an endless ways to know who is who and what is going on but if you put that aside, here I have two things to say about this match. If someone watches this match and they're like, this is this is the great match on the show, like I wouldn't argue with you. I would let you have that. Um, there are some things that I liked a lot in this match, some points that I'll bring out. But there's also times where I don't know if it's because I'm busy. I'm trying to get my classes prepped. I forgot I was watching this matchup a couple of times because it's kind of long. And I've seen them do some of the movesets before, even though they're cool things. I've seen it before. I knew what's coming. So I I both could see someone saying this is a great, great match, but I also cannot get away from the fact that there are things I enjoy. But I also just kind of lost my attention on it because partly I've seen it before and partly it's just super long at times. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> Part of me says that. uh in my opinion, far too many people equate length with quality in wrestling. So if this is the longest match on the card and Bret Hart's in there, well, surely it must be the best one. I don't know. I, I don't really agree with that personally. Like you, I would not uh, strongly argue the case because I did enjoy it. There's some good stuff in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. For me, there's something missing. What really amazes me is that uh, apparently it's the majority opinion that this match is better than the match the Heart Foundation had with the Brain Busters the year before, and I think that's just absolute insanity. So I don't know what the heck's going on there. I guess that's the majority opinion, but I, I don't understand that at all. I would need to rewatch this match, number one, because like I said, I legit lost my attention on it many times. I forgot I was watching it. I so bet I you didn't lose attention it. when you were watching the Brain Busters. I'll just nah. say that. Well, I, think, I don't think – I love Demolition – but I don't think you can substitute many people in for the brain busters and say it was better. Right. Yeah. You know, because even though a thing that irritated me that the match was going to get higher rating from me. Uh, so the first fall is lost. Demolition wins it. And I think what, what happens is one of them on the outside or I don't remember at the moment, but it looks like the second fall is going to end the same way the first fall did except reverse. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But then it doesn't become a pin. It becomes a DQ. And that by itself. 
<laughs> you know, already lowers the status of the match for me because these stupid there's gonna be a lot of stupid uh, finishes and once you have that, like, is it really a two out of three fall match and blah 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 on so on and so forth. So who knows? I'd like to hear people's opinions about it if you love this match because I do think you know Brett's always doing some cool things. It's got a it's got a good story. Um, we'll talk about LOD at the end and how maybe it justifies some of the things we saw earlier. Mm-hmm. But I guess I want to hear from you because there's a lot of non wrestling stuff and then there's the wrestlers. So is it the mix of things, even though they seem like sometimes they oppose each other? Do is it the greatest match because of the wrestling style? Is it because of the story? Because it doesn't feel like it picks a lane, so I wonder what people think makes this match up on that level. Yeah, I, I do wonder as well. I think uh, it's strange as well because I, I'm a big fan of Demolition. I think they do pretty well here, and yet this is also kind of like the turning point for them. They will never really be relevant again after this match, and uh, they just they act so differently here than I feel like they have ever acted before. Like uh, I guess it's just the heel turn, but it's one of these heel turns where you turn heel and it's almost like you have to be a different guy now. Like all your competence flew out the window, all your strength flew out the window. Now, like your only identity is you have three members and like th- there's nothing else to you beyond that. And that's just a shame because for his greatest demolition of Ben, like that's far too one dimensional for them, but it seems like it's the only thing they were asked to put forward here. Yeah. That's part of it too. To me, demolition's already, Probably because we know history. I think Vince is done with them, and yeah. you know they're on that way out, even if they're tag champions. The other thing for me, and this has been consistent through this entire uh, series, I don't know if it's my fault or their fault. The Hart Foundation has never popped for me. Like I don't feel urgency when they're out there. I know that they're going to do some cool moves. I know Bret Hart's going to do some smart things, but they always seem like the fourth, fifth, or sixth choice for me. I never feel urgency like, oh, my goodness, I better not like, take my eyes off the screen because the Heart Foundation's out there. They put – it's almost like it's a NyQuil or something. I'm not saying that, that they put me to sleep, but they put me in a, a kind of daze where it's like I know what I'm going to see, and what I'm going to see is like a series of moves. So – in no way could the Hart Foundation go out there and beat Demolition, for example, in three minutes if it was a one-fall match because they got to do all the things. So the minute I see the Hart Foundation, I don't see characters primarily. I don't see individuals. I see seven to ten minutes of things that have to happen before I have to pay close attention because it just is that way. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is exactly. I do find it curious that Bret Hart, who will definitely be known for kind of his distinctive singles matches over the next several years that never really comes into the heart foundation. In my opinion, again, we've talked about before this team is revered by some as one of the greatest teams of all time. And just, uh, I, I just still haven't seen any evidence of it. You know, what are the great matches? You know, when did they ever drive any great matches? Uh, when they come out, it's kind of an excuse to like, well, you can sort of half watch this match. You'll probably know everything that happens. So, yeah, I don't know. They just uh, they don't do it for me like they don't do it for you. Yeah, and I think that's almost gives validity to it because if they kind of did it for me, but I feel like whatever they do for other people, they are watching a completely different show for a completely different reason. <laughs> you know, I think it starts with the with the glasses that we all put on the frames that we all have. Like I think before the Heart Foundation comes out, they already don't possess what's going to do it for me. 
and they already possess what's going to do it for somebody else. I will definitely say, and I, I hope I've been consistent about saying this because I really believe it, objectivity in wrestling is a myth. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is an art form. You can only uh, access it subjectively. If you think you objectively know who the best wrestlers are, you're wrong. I'm sorry. It just uh, it, it can't happen. Um, and uh, if I was the kind of person who came into this match and I was already fully bought in to the Heart Foundation I was deeply invested in what they did, I would probably love this match too. You know, that that's just being honest. A lot of times, you know, what happens in the match, it matters. It matters a lot, but almost as much it matters how you felt about these guys coming in. And that doesn't mean a guy can't win you over or surprise you, but still, like, if I was an enormous Bret Hart fan, I would probably watch him do that backbreaker and I'd be like, yeah, that backbreaker! But being kind of... Like, Bret Hart, he's pretty good. He'll do the backbreaker, and I'll be like, okay, that was fine. It was a fine backbreaker, you know? So a lot of times it's just what you bring with you, I think, determines a lot of what you enjoy in wrestling. Yeah. I also think if you're a WWF first fan and WWF's better than everything else, then this is what you see. Because there's something sometimes too stylized about it, too clean. And it's weird because Bret Hart condemns Ric Flair for doing the same match over and over again. (laughs) But number you, you said the second thing uh, last week, but number one, Ric Flair's same matchup always looks like even if I seen it a hundred times, I would think that it's happening for the first time because it, parts of it are ugly. You know, yeah. like Flair will flip over the rope and he might come and get clotheslined or he might not be able to flip over the rope and it might break the pace and they got to stop the match. I feel like you never have to stop a Bret Hart match mm-hmm. because it's so on point. It's so clean that, you know, you move from here to here to here to here to here. And then you marvel over how neat that sequence is. But if you're watching it and your primary enjoyment is that this is a real thing happening, I have suspended my disbelief, then you want to see it just kind of fall down sometimes because you can't have so many matches against another person and the whole thing not fall apart because it's opposition. It's not teamwork. Uh, that's going on in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Bret Hart matches uh, do tend to run like clockwork, and uh, to some, that's amazing. That's probably a huge point in his favor. I do prefer kind of the more wild, unpredictable stuff. Um, And like you say, even when Ric Flair is running through spots that you will certainly recognize, uh, it's always done in like a chaotic way. You you never really know exactly what's going to happen. Things can go sideways at any moment, and just uh, it, it just has a different feeling to it. So maybe it's taste. Maybe it's, like you said, kind of a company loyalty kind of thing. Um, a lot of it at this point is probably just nostalgia, like what you liked when you were young. You'll yeah. probably like it now and vice versa. So uh, there's a lot that goes in. I'm just not a huge Bret Hart guy, although I think I will have a lot of good things to say about him at certain times. It's also why 100 to 0, Bret Hart's best character work is going to happen when he when he's forced to turn heel and the company turns on him because he does create the neatest, most cohesive. Like if WWF will put him at the top, he can be happy and everything is controlled and it's neat and it's beautiful and it's packaged and it's eternal and it's never going to break and it all works together and then it's going to break. And everything that we're talking about, these sequences, this control, this having it together, this excellence of execution, it's all going to go away. And you live in a world overnight. You go to bed 
where Bret Hart's the greatest of all time because of his sequences and because of what he does. And you wake up the next day in a world where you're only praised by what you can break, not what you can put together. And suddenly Bret Hart's whole legacy is in shambles. And you watch a broken Bret Hart who learns how to break things instead of putting things together. Man, I'm really looking forward to that. That <laughs> sounds so great. So, yeah. Oh, this is good stuff. I love Axe. So Axe comes out from under the ring. and One thing in wrestling that I never get tired of when it's done right is when you see a, a fresh man be a fresh, fresh man, man against people who are not fresh. Mm, yeah. I've said many times Axe is my favorite member of Demolition. I think uh, he does a great job here, even though he's kind of at that point where he can't even do a whole lot. Mm-hmm. He's got some health concerns, and yet the little he does is uh, maybe some of my favorite stuff in this match. Yeah, so Axe comes in and does a whole lot, but we got LOD who we keep seeing come in sideways. And <sighs> go ahead. This is another thing. It's like so much of this match is like demolition has three people. That's the worst crime that you could commit is having three people. And yet the Legion of Doom will run down. This is none of their goddamn business. They will just blatantly interfere in the match. And guess what? Four is more than three. Uh, but they will let the hearts win the match. And they they will just be dirty freaking cheaters, both the hearts and the Legion of Doom. Legion of Doom at least will kind of uh, give a good explanation for why they did it, but the hearts are just like, yay, we won by cheating, you know, whatever, we're the baby faces, we don't care, we'll just we'll just take advantage, just like any heel would do, so, huh. it's just, uh, the other team cheated first, you can just do anything in the world, it just, it continues on, the same theme that we've seen time and time again. Yes. I wrote down somewhere three bad, four good. So uh, I don't know where, but that lesson was learned. It's supposed to have an even number. That was the rule. Nobody told us. So Yes. But the one thing I did kind of like, even though I didn't necessarily like it, you know, we had to deal with this stupid storyline for weeks where, like, the Rockers and Heart Foundation and LOD are just all getting into each other's business and helping each other out. And I'm like, why is this even happening? So at least there's a little payoff in the fact that, like this thing had already been coming a mile away and, you know, maybe uh, Demolition should have seen, like you said, even though they're building up a three person team, there is like a conglomerate of babyface teams that are now making all of this their business. <laughs> yep. Every pairing of two saw their group of three and they were just driven to destroy this group, I guess. So you really should not have three people, uh, especially <laughs> this kill me. I don't know if I should respect this or condemn it but at one point in the match roddy piper goes against everything that we have heard and says oh it's actually a disadvantage that demolition has three people because they can't think the same and i didn't know what to do with that so that's why he pokes a hole in every single thing that they're doing in the show (laughs) he really does yes um he uh, somewhat he did not read the script he was given, which is not surprising because he's Roddy Piper. Yeah. And yet it's different than like the Lord Alfred Hayes. Um, he he also kind of pokes holes in things, but he does it in such a way that it kind of enhances them. And I don't think that's necessarily true for Piper. Piper will just kind of come out and suddenly say the opposite of like what makes sense in that situation, and it's not always. It doesn't always fit that well, so. Yeah, he'll ask a question and it'll be it'll just hang in the air because there's nothing you can say to it. Ah, <laughs> oh, indeed. Um, it's all. Go ahead. Sorry, I, I was gonna change the subject, so if you have more, go ahead. 
Oh, this is just a short note. It's interesting that at Canadian Stampede in 97, LOD will be on the, I think, five-person team against the Heart Foundation. They will indeed. So uh, that, that conflict, I guess, will come out eventually. God, that feels like a different world yes. than what we're seeing now. Like, how can those two things – whew, okay. Um, all right, so here's my question before we go to these post-match interviews. I'm asking this. I don't expect an answer, but I'm wondering – is this the end? Is this match the end of really good tag team wrestling in the WWF? I could be wrong. There could be stuff. But, man, we are about to be up to our armpits in Nasty Boys, in Natural Disasters, in a whole lot of teams that are not going to do it for me. The Bushwhackers will keep hanging around. We don't have the Brain Busters. We don't really have Demolition. The Rockers are going to be together for a little while, but they're going to break up. Even the Heart Foundation will break up soon. Um... You know, Strike Force is long gone. I don't know if people are coming in anymore to replace these teams that we're losing. You know, I'll enjoy Legion of Doom, but they're not going to have a whole lot of people to work with soon. So, um, I don't know. This could be the end of, like, kind of what people talk about is that golden era of tag wrestling in the WWF. The picture you just painted, <laughs> it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. dire, isn't it? Like, I just really had to say nasty boys, but I want to throw the rest of that in there just, just to make the point. It's just interesting, too, because Tugboat went from main eventing WrestleMania with Hulk Hogan to he turns heel in a match where Earthquake is wrestling to Bushwhackers. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a better place for him, to be honest, so <laughs> we're not going to cry about that change. I, yeah, we'll be surprised if we're surprised, but I don't know how I'm going to enjoy like Nasty Boys, I, I would be happy if I never see the Nasty Boys again. They're going to be tag champions yeah. at some point. You know, Bushwhackers, Natural Disasters. It's, it's all very gimmicky and formulaic, and it's just, you know, LOD is going to, uh, you know, kind of probably just say what, you know, you get the Hulk uh, claim, and then you get them pick a guy up on your shoulders and in, in, in three seconds and knock them out. Uh <laughs> Tugboat and Earthquake are going to stomp around the ring. The Bushwhackers are going to put people in their arm. No, Nasty Boys are the armpits. Bushwhackers are the licking. They're almost you know, the same. So. Yeah. You know, this is what we got. This is what we got to look forward to. So you very well may be right. In time, we will have Steiners. We will have Head Shrinkers. Um, I don't know about Money, Inc. I was more excited about them than they ended up actually being exciting, personally. But maybe that will turn around when I see them again. Um, so eventually I think we'll turn around to some better stuff, but we could be in for a little rough period for a while here. Yeah. It's so gimmicky. It's so WWF in the way that I don't enjoy. And yeah. here we go. So we're, we're going to get, <laughs> uh, LOD in the back. And, um, so this is, um, in response to what just happened in the tag title match. Yeah. And I'll say like, at least to their credit, they actually explained why they interfered in this. They said, hey, we challenged Demolition. Demolition ignored us. So basically we went out to, to fuck with them, you know. So yeah. I guess the, the answer your mail, answer your challenges, I guess, is uh, the message, the moral of this segment. So, And it works because, you know, LOD is just they're just the type of human beings. They're not even if they're new in a company. You're not going to ignore them for long before this is going to be the behavior that you're going to get. Yeah, yeah, so at least they're consistent. You know, they did what you would expect them to do. And then with the ongoingness, like we talked about with Perfect, the Heart Foundation just stumble into the segment. And I think this is where we get um, Canadian Stampede because they stand in front of the LOD and then gloat about being tag team champions. And the LOD takes it fairly well, but you wonder just how long that they can take it that well. Yeah, they, they really uh, very easily accepted that 
somebody else was champion and they weren't too worried about it. So I don't know that. Um, here's the, the standout to me. Jim Neidhart says, against all odds, we won. And I'm like, you had a whole other team right. come out and make sure you won. The odds were never against you. Calm down, Jim Neidhart. But like you said, he's in Wonderland, so he can't count probably. Yeah, the the previous segment, I think he said something about he's not known for his thinking and then starts laughing. So <laughs> They don't pay him to think, and thank yeah. God for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we go from that to... Oh man, this is this is Gene Arklin is with Sherry, and this is to me as good as the other segment. So you need to watch this one as well. Indeed. Uh, Gene and Sherry are so good together in this one. They're great. Uh, Sherry no longer has her mask, but now we can see her makeup even better, and it is incredible. I have a note here that says Sensational Sherry should have been in Lucha Underground. Mm. Oh, man, I'll I'll defend mm. that <laughs> to the grave. Oh, my God. Uh, Sherry says she intimidated Sapphire so much she wouldn't even show up. Oakland says they were sightings of Sapphire. And Sherry hilariously asks if Sapphire is a UFO, which I think was a great response yes. to, that, to that turn of phrase. Earlier sightings. What is she, a UFO? <laughs> oh, oh, so Sherry. good. This whole thing is so good. She says that um, when you're so good that you intimidate your opponent to the point they don't even show up, you can gloat all you want. <laughs> Indeed. It's funny. I didn't even think about this before. Sherry will be, like, proud of her, basically, account at victory here, and they will condemn her for it. And yet, what's going to happen with Hulk Hogan and the earthquake? I'm going to have some words to say about that. Um, but anyway, Sherry uh, hints that she knows something about Sapphire, but uh, when asked to elaborate, she speaks in a crazy language that no one could interpret. Um, so uh, Sherry is the best, and that's all I have to say about that. I wonder if Sherry is the building in Lucha Underground. She she has that same spirit, that energy. Yeah. Absolutely. I would pay money. I don't care if she's for or against. Especially if you had the if you had um I don't know his name Pentagon. That's I yep. forgot his name. Pentagon as world champion when he was a babyface, and Sherry is like bringing in the opposition, or she is the opposition there, you know? Oh man, she could take Pentagon, I think. Um, but yeah, the I people she could bring that. in, holy god. I think they had to shut down the women's division just so Sherry wouldn't like destroy everyone um, in the WWF, so that, that that's a new theory about that. Man, I've now got my mind on Lucha Underground, so... <laughs> I need to it's watch so a little easy. bit of MLW because they got they're doing a few things that I'm really interested in, but I just don't have the time and the ability. You saw them bring in uh, Mil Mortes. Yeah, I like yeah, that. That's cool. I love the fact that uh, what's her name? I can't remember her name either. But Selena. I, yeah, that she she got to run a whole show, and you know it goes so good with her character and what she does. So th there's a lot of there's a lot of things that are, at least from afar, they're, they're at least hitting right on. So I give them credit from afar. I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, the, the backstage run continues here. We get a look at Bad News Brown's uh, Harlem Sewer Rat, which is an ugly-looking thing in a cage biting the bars. He's going to bring that to his feud with Jake the Snake. We also see Damien chilling in the shower, just looking enormous with its mouth like like gaping wide. I don't know if it's drinking or what, but that was, uh, that was quite a shot. I yeah. thought I appreciated that. Bad news is another one who's on his way out the door. Yeah. Last uh, match tonight. Never see him again. 
Otherwise, I want him wrestling Gene Oakland at WrestleMania 7. Yes! I would watch <laughs> it. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> already we had the snake incident that we talked about last week. This week, when we go to the sewer rats, it starts with Gene Oakland narrating. Earlier today, we had the opportunity to sneak in the Bad News Browns locker room. <laughs> What a terrible choice. Oh, my God. Yeah, he already knocked you over. Like, I'm, Gene Okerlund is maybe the most fearless man in the WWF, so there, there's something going on there. Yeah. So Gene is with the boss man who's actually going to be the referee uh, for the matchup between Bad News Brown and uh, Jake the Snake. This is a strange choice. You have a big boss man on your roster, and you're not going to put him in a match, but you're going to have him re- involved in two matches in just random roles that I, I have no explanation for. Um, but he's not afraid of snakes or things from the sewers. He's very fired up because he's the big boss man. Yeah. It's pretty much what you expect. I thought it was, it's just weird. Like it doesn't sound like the same person can be in one night refereeing that kind of match and in Hogan's corner. Like there's too much, too much in each role to just be doing both of them, but he's doing it. I, I'm all about uh, interconnected rosters, but this it did seem very random that he would be in yeah. both things. Like, there was no connection between them. Um, I guess he has the right to be involved in two things at one time, but uh, I was just surprised at it. And, yeah, and then here we go. Sean Mooney is with Hacksaw and Nikolai Volkov. Oh, my. Here's, here's, here's a sign of some things to come. I got one more match that I liked on this card, and then one more kind of thing. But uh, we're we're really getting some bad signs now. The other person picked up the pen. Um, Duggan and Volkov are indeed together. Volkov has abandoned his own country and embraced stupidity like Jim Duggan. Um, I guess betraying your country is the price of Duggan's friendship. Uh, <laughs> poor Nikolai Volkov has to say that Jim Duggan is his idol. So, oh my God, I think you were better under the Soviets, buddy. Yeah, it's such a strange. It's like a forced fake smile. I wanted to see a gimmick where a heel is still a heel, but they realize Hacksaw he gets cheered and he gets privileged. So they turn babyface and they're just trying to imitate all the things Hacksaw does. But they're still like, all you see is that they are a horrible monster to the point that you start to realize. And they're in, wait, they're in, they're imitating Hacksaw and they're still kind of a monster. Does that mean Hacksaw? No, it couldn't be. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, yes, Nikolai Volkov, I guess, has forgiven Duggan for attacking him, like, countless times just for trying to sing. Um, Man, there's some Stockholm Syndrome or something here, like you said, in the eyes of Nikolai Volkov. I don't know what to make of that, but uh, it's a thing that happened, and they thought it was good enough to put on pay-per-view, which is definitely a condemnation of something in the WWF at this time. Yeah, I don't. I, just, I almost want to quit right now. This is how bad. Like, let's make the next nine months about um, a situation where we're potentially going to war, and you know, because we're so sophisticated that we should be talking about this and booking angles around it. And it's just, we're about to get into. Uh, anyway, we'll get to it when we get to it. Gene Oakland is with Earthquake. Um, these promos, man. There's going to be a disaster. Uh, this is an earthquake you can predict. It's amazing that he's booked so far and they cannot get like story, like promos that aren't the same promo that we've seen the entire time that Jimmy Hart and Earthquake have been together. Uh, I think I think I've given this feud enough of a chance. I just want to say this feud sucks. Everything about it sucks. I have nothing from this feud. Clearly some people did. More power to you. I'm just speaking on my personal level. It sucks. I don't like anything about it. 
uh, Earthquake, he sat on Tugboat also, and that's like the newest development. And I'm sorry, it just it does nothing for me. I tried. I'm sorry. That's all I got for it. I will have some praise for the Hulkster later, so I will. Oh my, all right, okay. Fair so enough. neither of us will do anything for our base, because I think you will disappoint people for uh, <laughs> no love for Earthquake, and I will disappoint people for still praising Hulk Hogan. So. The crazy thing is, I know I will praise Earthquake at some point, but it ain't this. Like, none of this worked for me, so. His best promo in the entire time we've been watching is after he loses because he just screams Hulk Hogan's name and it feels like he's actually speaking to the moment. Whereas <laughs> they are still having promos, Jimmy Hart and Earthquake, where they're not even speaking to the context, where it's just more like, ah, this is what an earthquake is. This is what it does. If I could go back in time and I could only do one extremely specific thing that had to do with wrestling in this era, I would pay probably about a hundred dollars to them if i would if they would just let him do a promo without bouncing around like a stupid yeah. moron it's so dumb it adds nothing i think it makes the promo like so much worse because i can't even take this guy seriously and i feel like uh he has to like think about his like bobbing around instead of like what he's saying <laughs> it's just it's just a bad thing, so Jesus. You can see in his face and eyes at times where it's like, did I just do right leg or left leg? <laughs> right leg. <laughs> That's what it feels like. I don't, it just somehow it makes the promos a lot worse. Maybe just because it highlights how it's just kind of a stupid gimmick. Like, what am I supposed to get from that? Like, is he causing earthquakes right now just yeah. by, like, bouncing from one foot to the other? I don't know. There's nothing good about it. It's also getting at these where these are not human beings. They don't have thoughts. They're just, you know, he's just an earthquake. It's getting to, like, we're seeing signs of the thing I like least about WWF, and it's when they so market something that they market the life out of it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. you got it. Jake Roberts, uh, this is a good promo. So. Oh, my God, this promo. <laughs> Jake yeah. Roberts has a promo, and I'm sure it was good, but I don't even know what he said because the visual of this promo was incredible because Damien is literally, like, choking Jake Roberts to death during this promo. He is all around his neck. He is, like, flipping his tail up into Jake's eye and, like, just completely constricting this guy. And, I don't know, the visual of this was unlike anything I've seen with Jake. I don't think he could do this promo every time because I think he would die. I think Damien would get him sooner or later. But, holy crap, this promo, I have no idea what he said, but it looked amazing. Yeah, it's even more frightening because the first half of it, he's choking him. And every time he takes his tail and moves it off his neck but later on the promo he just gives in and lets him stay like double <laughs> double wrapped around his neck uh, and like up on his face like oh it's really something it starts with the physical hunger of the rats because apparently bad news brown is starving those rats so for for what is to come and he kind of flips it to a different kind of hunger he says just how hungry are you and we're going to find out we're going to separate the men from the from the mice so you know both a shot at bad news brown and also at the weapons that he's bringing Speaking of those sewer rats, Roddy Piper blurts out on commentary, oh, I never saw a Harlem sewer rat. And, man, they showed one. Yeah. Jim Oakland <laughs> risked his life to show you one, and you weren't even watching, I guess. So shame on yeah. you, buddy. 
He sneaked into his locker room, buddy. Right. <laughs> he did that for you. You didn't even appreciate it. So, oh, my God. So, now we got Bad News Brown and Jake Roberts. And I think these are the kind of feuds and, and matches that I need for Jake Roberts. Like, we're going to get the blindfold match. I feel like he needs to be in gimmick mm. matches based on feuds. Oh, absolutely. Jake Roberts... I mean, all his best stuff has been feud-driven. The the segment with his wife and Rick Rude was awesome. Andre having the heart attack, you know, that was awesome. Now, just like this, and it's a short match as well, that works. Jake Roberts, the one reason I would have loved to see him actually take over creative is he always seemed to be involved in these great uh, incidents and these great gimmicks, and, like, there's always some good storyline, and if he doesn't have a storyline, like... Nothing's happening. There's no reason to watch him if he doesn't have a storyline. But he often had one, and he often had really good, really memorable ones. So, yeah, you give him short matches, good stories, something to kind of hang his hat on. That's the best use you can make of Jake Roberts. Absolutely. When they first come down where the crowd first starts, where you're walking down the ramp, there is a piece of Sting merchandise. So, uh, <laughs> shout out to the man who is probably just becoming, just have become the WCW world champion and weird enough, the man who will be in a world title or not a world title in a main event pro, uh, program with Jake Roberts in two years now. I think. Oh yeah. Oh God. You're right about that. Um, I don't know if that's the first bit of WCW merchandise I've seen in this, but there is a one piece of sting merchandise. <laughs> Certainly that I've noticed. Yeah, that's uh that's unusual. So, um, this is great. One last time, Bad News Brown starts the fight before anybody's ready. Um, and, God, I really will miss him a lot. Uh, he, he starts the fight before Bossman can even get down to the ring. He's still jogging down to the ring when he starts swinging. So that's that's some cool stuff. Yeah, and I love the fact they both go for their finishers early. Uh, the Ghetto Blaster, Jake falls to his knees, but not to escape it. He's just, like, hurt. And so he just kind of luckily misses that because he does, I don't think he even knows it's coming. Yeah, really nice bit. That's the kind of thing that Jake was good at. That's why I love to see him in a short match like this. I think yes. the more time you give to Jake, the less you get out of him. So, you know, again, long does not equal good. Uh, this is probably one of the more enjoyable Jake matches that uh, we have seen. And part of that, yeah, it's short. Jake plays it well. Uh, Bad News Brown plays it really well. Um, this is definitely the last match on the card that I would say I really did enjoy, um, you know, as an actual match. <laughs> yeah, I like the matchup. I'm just, Bad News Brown's entire career is one long DQ or countout. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect for him, though. Like, we, I'll say it one last time. Those Steve Austin vibes, you know, he's Stone Cold before Stone Cold. And, uh, you know, Steve could have gone down that. They, when Steve Austin comes around, they will move, like, the rules for him yeah. so that he doesn't have to be counted out or DQ'd, like, every time, like he would have been otherwise. So if they had done that for Brown... We could have had a different conversation here. Yeah, it's just hard to know because it feels like you're never going to push him and you're never going to devalue him. And for a while that works, but eventually you got to make some decisions. Like It can't always be a DQ or a count out. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. Um, he Consistently in the upper mid card, uh, pretty much always entertaining. I read that he uh, would leave the company because this man promised him. He would be the first black world champion, and obviously that was never going to happen. And if he believed that for real, then I don't know what to tell him about that. But, yeah, yeah, I mean, for as good as he was, always high on the card, but you're right. His feuds could, like, never end properly. They never really wanted to fully commit to this guy. So uh, it's just a big question mark at this point. 
yeah, he would have beat Piper and a few others. It was clear, mm. yeah, they were never going to go but so far with him. You know, he's not the ultimate warrior, so we can't make him a world champion. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Brown has a lot of issues with Big Boss Man here, and I got to say, if that was the next feud, I would have loved to see it. We will never get to see it, but, man, that could have been another great one right there. Oh, man, they, the minute I saw them in the ring together, I was like, I I want this. I need this matchup right now. Mm, absolutely so. Um, Roddy Piper calls this a cheap victory. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy Piper, uh, he's really out of pocket here, maybe because he just had a feud with Brown, but uh, he again has to talk about how Brown stinks for some reason. He has to comment on odors, which is a weird baby face thing that they like mm. to do. But he's weird, too, because... Am I wrong? Does he keep calling Big Boss Man Big Bosoms? Yeah, yeah. What is up with that? That's that's very strange. I'm yeah, really and his, his commentary when Dusty Rose is out there is some of the worst I've ever seen. So I got I've had I've had some good things. I might even have some more. But man, when he is bad, he is the kind of person. And we said this the whole time, so it's like a microcosm of it. When he's he doesn't know the difference. I don't think between when he hits the bullseye and when he's completely off the mark. No, I don't think he's capable. He's um. <laughs> I may have said this before, but he, he reminds me kind of of uh, Robin Williams in that, uh, you know, he, he will just doggedly make jokes, make comments and kind of just yeah. like keep going with his shtick. And when it works, it's brilliant. And when yeah. it doesn't, you know, it can be like, this is too much. Like, this is not working. Um, and I love Piper and I love Robin Williams. But like, you have to admit, sometimes it just didn't work out the way it was supposed to. So. Yeah. And there's nobody else to do anything because Vince was- <laughs> And even this, he says it's a cheap victory, and I write yes, and then Vince is like, nevertheless a victory. I'm like, <laughs> yes, boss man, uh, calls to the DQ when Dad News Brown uses a chair, which is lame. Just let him fight, yeah. for God's sakes. Like, you're you're the big boss man. What do you care? You have people with nightsticks every day of your life. So, oh, well. Oh, um, well. Bad News Brown, he tries to uh, leg drop the snake yes. bag here. Big Boss Man saves it, but Earthquake in the back stopped uh, bobbing up and down for a minute. He quick wrote <laughs> something down for a future feud. So there, there's something for you. I love moments like that where something major is going to happen, and whether they know it or not, they almost they almost sabotaged it. You know, they almost <laughs> yeah, because you, you, it's an amazing thing. But I like how you said it. Maybe Earthquake's watching in the back, and he's like, "Huh, that's how you take care of that problem." <laughs> Yep, I mean, uh, he solves all his other problems by sitting on them, so why not this one, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, Jake pulls out the snake. He chases Bad News Brown away from it. I guess uh, Bad News Brown is so upset by the snake that he will disappear forever. So, goodbye, Bad News Brown. You were great. You were one of the most underutilized guys. I'll never forget your feud with Randy Savage and some of the other great stuff you did. You were Stone Cold. Before Stone Cold, I'll say it again, Bad News Brown a great, great addition to the Legacy Series. Yeah. It's only hitting me how many people are out the door. And you, you can't lose Jesse yeah. Ventura, Bad News Brown, and some of these others, and it not hurt. Yeah, yeah. It hurts. We're seeing a lot of people go right now. He hasn't been our favorite, but I think I said before, Rick Rude, he'll be gone before the end of the year. Yeah. You know, he's main eventing this show. So there's a lot of people. It used to be a lot of people mostly coming in. Now, now we're seeing a lot more going out, I think. It's interesting because in a way it has to happen and it happens. If part of the reason that maybe we get the IC division is because, you know, a lot of guys who would get premier out of the way. But, you know, it feels more and more like whatever this is going to be, the 80s is starting to slide off of the 90s. Yeah, 
Yep, absolutely so. Gene Okerlund is with Demolition, speaking of. Uh, they are the former tag champions, and they, they take they take offense to that word former and go off on Gene about that. Yep, they correctly point out that the Hearts uh, cheated to win. And, um, and yeah, I don't know how you could possibly debate that. So, yeah, both sides were cheaters, but one side is the good guys. You, you, you can figure that out at home. And I love that because their heels are talking about you didn't play fair because of four, unironically, and we're supposed to be sitting there thinking, like, what a bunch of idiots. They had three people, and they're upset about four, but we're never supposed to say what we were talking about earlier in reverse. So, <laughs> you know, fun times. Ah, uh, fun times. Okay. Oh, they also called the LOD imposters, so I thought that was interesting as the, as the face paint war continues. I'll say this. The Demolition Legion of Doom feud will be very forgettable, unfortunately, because it will just be Legion of Doom winning and Demolition going off to never matter again. But man, if they had done this feud properly, how great could this have been? And this is so weird. This is a rare case of Vince McMahon. He will take the outsiders and put them over his own creation. And it just shows you just how weird things got with Demolition, I guess. But man, if they had done this feud properly, holy crap, could have really torn the house down because these are two very enjoyable teams and they will never really get the chance to have the match that I think they could have had. I agree. They're already starting to tell a story that is, is very intriguing. But again, like you said, Vince will break his own rules only for pettiness when he is <laughs> opposed to somebody else. And, of course, he'll just uh, crap on the Legion of Doom, too, later, you know, more than once, really. Uh, they'll get puppets, and they'll get members called Puke down the line, and just, uh, yeah, no, nobody gets treated well for long in the WWF. Yeah. Okay, uh, Brother Love, Sergeant <laughs> Slaughter. Uh, yep, Sergeant Slaughter is here. He and his enormous chin have found that America is weak and soft, but Brother Love is still a great American. Um, so they, they love each other and Sergeant Slaughter says America should declare war. He declares war on Nikolai Volkov. This is a stupid mess and it's only going to get worse. So here's definitely the, the bad guy picking up the pen and doing a bad job writing this. Yeah. This is one of the worst segments I've watched in the series so far. And <laughs> it blows my mind that this is where we're going. Yeah. So, Hey, Okay, yeah, if I got they notice the Ultimate that. Warrior sucks and kind of like backpedal on that. Why can't they notice that this sucks and backpedal on this? But uh, okay. oh well. This made me long for the Ultimate Warrior. I'll put it that way. Oh my! Well, you'll get them both together soon, so don't yeah. worry. It's just like it's so over the top and it feels manufactured. Like yeah. nothing has happened to to warrant this and that. Like oh, it's it's, it's a bunch of cheap heat and the fans are not really responding to it in this right. arena. And so it's a hot crowd, so... Yeah, it's a total know. misunderstanding of a lot of different things. And I, I put no fault, really, on Sergeant Slaughter, who I think is trying his best out here. Um, but it's just a horribly conceived and written and just executed idea. So it's just bad from the bottom up. Even in the segment, like, is it a bad conviction that, like, oh, well... I, everybody in the country is like this, and I'm turning on them, and and it's so sincere, which you would think it would have to be in order to turn on this country, since Sergeant Slaughter is supposed to be this kind of guy that would have been Hulk Hogan if Hulk Hogan didn't sign in. But then he gives the medal to Brother Love, which means to me like he's not being sincere about any of it. He's just trying to irritate people. 
yeah, right. You, you feel no conviction out of this because what conviction could there be? You know, there, there's no energy to this. There's no real heat to this. Like you said, the crowd is not even the crowd is hot for so much of this show. But for this, they were like, eh, OK, whatever. Yeah. And so then comes out of nowhere. But it's partly because it does come out of nowhere because we were going to see Tugboat and Hogan, which I'm not advocating for. But, you know, this is just like insert different person to do the thing that had a continual story, you know. So it's a left field uh, move as they try to fill a building that they're never going to fill. At least they didn't have Jim Duggan do this. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. And so then, then the whole thing ends up being about Nikolai Volkov. So that's also interesting. <laughs> In 1990. Yeah, that's not real yeah. strong. So. All right. So that's, that's about it for me on that one. Cool. We go backstage to Mr. Fuji, who cuts a promo. As usual, it is hard to understand. I understand at least that he will give Duggan two crossed eyes. So Mr. Mm-hmm. Fuji at least leaving the props home this time. And it has to be interrupted because Gene Oakland has found Sapphire. So we go to Gene Oakland just to see him get a door slammed in his face. That's a nice moment. I really like these segments that have like small updates all through the show. Like You really feel like it's progressing as things go along. Uh, it was a nice little moment to kind of keep this story in your mind. Absolutely. And I'm not going to say that Sapphire turning heel is bigger than Hulk Hogan becoming the third member of the NWO and changing wrestling, but both end up with an announcer standing outside of a door wondering what's going on on the inside. Yeah, and both would be deeply offensive to Gene Okerlund, so there's yeah. some parallels. <laughs> I don't know if Gene likes or dislikes having a door slammed in his face. Like He's just, he's on, he's, he's on the beat, and, you know. I think it's just goes. a very familiar feeling, so. Yes. So Orient Express versus Hacksaw and Nikolai. So that, I have nothing to say about this match, yeah. um, but I will speak to the commentary a little bit. Uh, Roddy Piper before the match asks what the combined IQ of Volkov and Duggan is. Vince McMahon slyly replies that it does not matter. Yes. I like it. I deeply respect the fact that you don't have any notes for the match as well. <laughs> well before the match, it's terrible because they sing – and they're out there singing, and I'm having this weird desire that Jim Duggan would come out and attack them, but Jig, he's one of the guys out there, so, like, the one thing he was good for, like, breaking up bad singing, he's not even doing it. So what the hell is the use of Jim Duggan here? Yeah, I'm honestly surprised he doesn't, after they get done, still beat him up. <laughs> <for doing it. laughs> he should have done. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's nothing to say here. My only other note that I have is that at one point, Roddy Piper says, I don't trust Volkov. Vince McGrand's reply is, ha, 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 ha. So. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's like not even they are really trying. Like, this is just stupid. It's supposed to explain itself, but it explains nothing. So it's just bad. And if you need us to tell you who won, I don't know how you got onto this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No kidding. Moving right along. Okay, so Gene Oakland is with Dusty Rhodes, who's also out the, uh, outside the door. He says, open the door, baby, but guess what? No door's going to be open for Dusty. Oh, man, look at the genuine concern that Dusty Rhodes is sowing here. I love yeah. this because, like, you feel the concern. You feel like there's confusion. Um, and I really don't think he imagined that what would happen would happen. I don't think that's even in his mind. He's probably thinking, like, is she hurt? 
you know, is she upset? Did I do something? You know, it's, it's so many possibilities could have happened here. Just that if you've ever had a friend who is upset or something happened and they're out of contact with you and you're worried about them, you must know that feeling. And I think Dusty really captured that here, that sense of worry. So it's a great night for Dusty Rhodes. Great night for uh, emotions from the right people. Yeah, because if you go back far enough in the storyline, you remember that the entire angle begins because she is Dusty Rhodes' number one fan. Like, she is not just his manager, but she is a fan who was managing him from the crowd. That's how committed she was. So I think you're right between Dusty's ego, between something good in Dusty, and between the history. Like, a lot of things could be going on, some good, some bad. But I don't think it even gets in his mind that it could be where it actually is going to be. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So but, uh, right, whatever the situation, he's still got a match to wrestle. Right up, we're coming up on Dusty Rhodes versus Randy Savage. Uh, in a great bit, Sean Mooney must stand precariously yeah. to interview Savage from his throne. That was a great visual as well. Um, Savage says the rumor is that Sapphire doesn't want to associate with a commoner for the rest of her life. And uh, he won't say more, but we'll find out that's kind of kind of the case. So uh, it's a little foreshadowing here. Yeah, again, the Hill says the rumors must be true. And Sean Mooney says, what rumors? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Heels have their own uh, grapevine definitely going on, working like a charm on this night. And it's funny. The truth comes out of that side of the, of the situation, just uh, for the record. Not unexpectedly, for those who have been paying attention. So this is Dusty Rhodes and Randy Savage. Uh both uh, competitors will come to the ring, and then off screen you're going to get a laugh. You're going to cut to the stage, and Ted DiBiase has arrived. Indeed, the million-dollar man. And as we know, he is a great foil for Dusty Rhodes. He had a, a legendary match in our minds to kick off Dusty Rhodes' run, and now here they are in conflict again in a more official capacity. Ted DiBiase reveals that tonight he has bought Dusty Rhodes' humiliation. It is revealed at last that he paid off Sapphire. He was the one giving gifts. Here she is. She walks out in the fancy clothes with literally a huge bag of money in her hands. And uh, I don't know. Like, I looked at the size of that bag of money, and I'm thinking, man, I might have taken that money too. So on some level, I don't know if you can even really blame Sapphire here. No, there's... And I think it's presented that way is that there's a lot of it that just makes sense. There's a lot of it that, like, what are you going to do? How do you know what you're going to do? Um, I think that if it was if Dusty was younger and going to be there longer, I could see this going to WrestleMania. And then she betrays Ted DiBiase and they spend all his money that he's given her and just uh, enjoy all of it. But Sapphire will end up leaving the company. Dusty Rose will soon leave the company. And here I will just say... I think it's kind of, you know, I think DiBiase got a win and he needed a win because his everybody got everybody doesn't have a price. He loses half the time he says that. <laughs> um, I think that uh, the Dusty Sapphire thing is now coming to a close. And I don't know. There's other ways you could have booked Dusty Rhodes, obviously. But as far as critiquing Dusty Rhodes in it or Sapphire in it, I have no critiques for either one of these. I have enjoyed everything that they put into it uh, from its entirety. Absolutely. It's been great. Uh, any critique, I can't even 
I can't really wrap my head around. I guess you would say, like, oh, maybe she shouldn't have been in matches. Well, maybe, but honestly, she did fine. She did, like, yeah. kind of exactly what she needed to do. So, I don't know. I've been a big fan of it. I would say, uh, despite some initial misgivings with the big stupid grin and the vignettes uh, with Dusty Rhodes, yeah. I've really enjoyed his run overall. You know, it hasn't been perfect. It hasn't been all that it could be. But there's been a lot more good stuff than bad stuff, I'd say. Polka dots are no. Yeah, I think if you want to talk about how good Dusty Rhodes is, you could you you could make an argument for how much he he got out of this as much as arguing for what he did in his best times when he had the opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a lot to that. Uh, he's a guy who could excel under basically any circumstance, and that's really on display here, I think. Uh, which is not to say, actually, they put him in a great circumstance here. Like, this is one of our favorite things on the show, and part of it is Dusty gives a great performance. But part of it, it's just written really well. You know, this was written by the good guy, by the good hand. So, yeah. it's just really well done. Yeah, this is, um, it's weird because... We're both praising it, and yet out there you have the main event of WrestleMania for you got Savage, you got DiBiase, so they're out there. So if while I enjoy everything for what it is, if I took two steps back and thought you have Randy Savage and Dusty Rhodes and even Ted DiBiase, I also could probably find some critique for what you also might be able to do. But in, in inside of the world of what they're doing and the level that they're doing it, you know, it's been done well. It really has, and uh, I, I don't really have any strong critique. I will say this. Um, for better or worse, Randy Savage, he couldn't be more of an afterthought in this situation. He might as well not even be there. And there there's definitely yeah. some criticism that you could say to that. You've got one of the greatest stars of this or any era, and uh, he really could have been replaced with a houseplant, basically, and you would have the same thing going <laughs> yes. on here. That was the only sad part for me, so I'm glad you said that. Uh <laughs> Savage pins him, I believe, in a short. Exchange. Yeah, it's about two minutes long. As uh, Dusty, he he moves like he's gonna go after DiBiase, but Savage kind of ambushes him, and then two minutes later, he hits him with the loaded purse, and he gets that victory on a very distracted Dusty road. So I don't really have a beef with that. It makes sense in the story, and they gotta, I'm sure, keep to their timelines and stuff. But man, it is a real shame that they couldn't find an opportunity for these two guys to have a real match together. Like, for what it could have been, you know, the maximum of what these guys could have achieved, I don't think we ever really got close in this feud. Absolutely. You know Randy Savage can do more because he has been the guy that has delivered so much. And now, like you said, he is kind of an afterthought, and, like, we don't really need him to wrestle. Uh, is that true? But he will be making a revival soon, so uh, we'll wait for that. This is the dumbest commentary I've ever seen. The whole night is built on how much it means that someone is going to betray someone else. That Sapphire, who was a fan of Dusty Rose, who teamed up with Dusty Rose, she is actually going to betray him. And then Roddy Piper's entire commentary is how disappointed he is in Dusty Rose, who can't be a professional. Like none of that should mean anything. You should just be a professional. And the fact that he can't be, the fact that he's having emotion shows he's not a professional. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's just. <laughs> It's not good. It's not a good moment. It's Piper not reading the situation well. Um, I don't know. You can kind of see where they put him on commentary because, like, he's a good promo. You know, he's a popular guy. But, man, I, I don't think it was really the right call. Um, there's only one Piper match, I, or only one match I can think of that has really good Piper commentary, and that's that's not a great average for him. So it's not, not really what I would have gone with, I think. Yeah, and Dusty runs away because... 
And Dusty's going to critique Roddy Piper's commentary without even hearing it later, so I'll save that for later. But this whole night reminded me of, like I said, I love ongoing story. You saw this in the Attitude Era, the Monday Night War, and you can't have the Monday Night War, an ongoing story, if someone's not getting into a limo while someone else comes running after them. (laughs) Uh, Yes, Dusty uh, chases that limo away, and I definitely got a little NWO vibe in there. And uh, maybe what could have been if uh, times had moved just a little bit differently. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes should be one of the top three or four highest paid people for this night. Oh, absolutely. You know, for having about two minutes in the ring, what he contributed to this night uh, is really incredible. I Man, I loved it. I saw a different side of him, and it's just it's an amazing thing. A very serious, very somber, but also being humbled it's, it's great stuff. Uh, check this stuff out if you're into uh, that element of professional wrestling. Uh, meanwhile, Gene Okerlund is with um, Bobby Heenan. I think. No, he's with Hulk Hogan and the boss man. <laughs> the very opposite of Bobby Heenan, yeah. if you will. Um, so, yes, boss man is here to back up Hogan for reasons that I do not understand and were not explained. Uh, Ho- Hogan recalls what it was like to be under earthquakes, but... Uh, <laughs> And with them laughing. Uh, <laughs> he seems to be really bent out of shape about them laughing while he leaves. Yep, absolutely. Uh, he praises Tugboat and dedicates the match to him, so take that for what you will. Uh, it's not worth a lot, in my opinion. I will say with Hogan, he says, I remember what it felt like. And the thing about Hulk Hogan that I have noticed, he is, I think, probably Earth Element, because everything that he does is just so uh, conniving. Especially in his rhetoric. So he has this, he makes everything about felt sense, but it's not really him experiencing it. He manufactures it into a sword and a shield in order to do his own work. Mm. So others get involved like, oh, it did feel like that. And I'm a Hulkamaniac and it feels like that. But I don't think it's coming from his felt sense. I think it's coming from rhetorical uh, work and manufacturing of storyline. Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that Earl Kogan is primarily uh, an earthen construct. I think that construct is designed to allow fire and water to flow through it, but it is always earth at the core of it. Yeah, just driving it. And I think it's weird because you know, because you can see Hogan is being fired because of his temper, but I think McMahon, Jesse, Hogan, there's a lot of earth in all of them, and I think um, you get a lot of earth people together and – the kind of arguments and fights you're going to get is what you're going to get. <laughs> oh, boy. Hulk Hogan and Earthquake. Uh, so I was not into this match, I got to say. Uh, it felt very formulaic to me. It felt like what we've talked about, like Hulk Hogan. Despite, they actually even tried to put in the effort, but it did not feel to me like he was ever in danger. Uh, Earthquake will do his finisher. It doesn't even really work anymore. Um, <clears throat> boss man will just like attack earthquake at times just randomly and the referee doesn't care. So it's like even more advantage on Hulk Hogan's side. Um, at best to me, this is like a very poor rehash of the Andre match and feud at this point. And they will even do some like very blatantly ripped stuff. Like he will do the slam and he will even like fail at it once. And then he'll do it later and it could be taken right out of Andre um, you know, after the match, Earthquake will choke Hogan and it will take like a lot of effort to get him off. And that's just like Andre and all of it is just like not doing it for me. 
I was not into this. I couldn't get anything out of this. I don't know. Maybe I'm too harsh. I think you, you had some good things maybe to say about Hulk Hogan. For me, none of this really worked. Yeah, I can't read a lot of my handwriting. I enjoyed some of the previous <laughs> promo, and I enjoyed – I think the first half of this match, I thought they were doing a good job. I liked the fact that they're talking about Hulk Hogan's lost maybe 20 or 30 pounds, so it's a lighter Hulk Hogan. Maybe he's trying to do it for cardio, but maybe he made a mistake, and he's going to be not big enough to do anything in the beginning of the match kind of – points to that i like the fact that he gets kind of thrown off his game i like the commentary talking about i don't think he has a game plan anymore i think he's just playing it by ear which is um interesting whether i believe it or not um and then i'm not in at at the time i understand it because i think the storyline with ultimate warrior beating hulk hogan and then hulk hogan coming back and getting retired like if you were a hulk hogan fan at this time I think he would be deeply invested. It's like when Shawn Michaels is wrestling Owen Hart. Like I was watching almost exclusively WCW at that time, but Michaels, you know, had the got beat up by this. You know, we'll get into that when we get here. But Michaels has a concussion. Owen Hart kicks him in the head. Michaels wins the match and then just falls out. And I changed the channel from WCW to WWF because at the time, in my mind, I thought he had legit just like fallen out, and it was like. Is he too fragile to be in a wrestling ring again? So I think it's easy to look at it from afar and say, oh, well, Hulk Hogan's Hulk Hogan. And this is why I'm going to condemn in the highest regard the back half of the match. But I think at the beginning, they're trying to build this thing where they said, if he gets hurt again, he's never coming back. And then they flip it to he might not even should be back. So he might not be well. So I think if you're a Hulk Hogan fan and you've watched him lose to the Ultimate Warrior, you've watched him been stretched out and retire almost to Earthquake, and he's lighter now. I think there's something about the beginning of the match that they're telling a story that the fans would be glued to and invested because they would be worried about Hulk Hogan. So for me, I found the first half interesting, but then the second half, we might as well have been watching Hogan and Zeus again for, to me, it's on <laughs> that level of bad. Uh, I take your point. I think the fact that this feud really failed to uh, invest me early on is really hurting me yeah. now. Um, just for the fact that Earthquake, I don't find him threatening. I don't find him impressive. I don't find his finisher to be, like, scary or convincing or effective. You know, they tried to put in some legwork, but it just felt like melodrama. But, you sure, I can see if you invested in that, you're probably invested in this match. But then, yeah, as you say, even if you can get into that, like – Man, how could you watch this match and really believe at the end of it that Hulk Hogan was ever in any danger at all in any of this? Like, it never came crashing down. It never really hurt inside. Hulk Hogan was just fine the whole time. So, you know, if you were worried, then you were kind of wrong to be worried. Yeah, because when he is the finisher that we've been hearing about for the entirety of his run, Hogan just throws him off of him and hulks up. And that's, we are now at that moment, too, because eventually we're going to get a Hulk Hogan that... And that you're already there, but consistently, I think a majority of people are going to say, not only is the hulking up stale, but the whole thing, like, I don't believe any of it. I'm there, for sure. You know, I, I, I don't think it's there for me, so I think, I think that's, I don't know when it happens consistently for most people, but to me, this is, it would be better to me to have storylines that don't matter. Like, it'd be better if this is the Dungeon <laughs> of Doom. Because then I at least feel vindicated at the end of it. But you can't tell me the earthquake sent 30 people to the hospital and he retired Hulk Hogan. Like, what's the difference between what he did to Hulk Hogan on the stage and what he did to him in the ring? 
Right, yeah. I mean, it makes no sense. You're right. I am already there. To me, this is just lazy. They're not paying any respect to the to even the things that they themselves kind of like established. And it's just like, whatever, just do whatever you feel like doing, I guess, you know, so it's like, nah. And then they don't have a pin, and then Earthquake becomes Zeus afterward, and all of a sudden, it was Earthquake who could not hurt Hogan at the end of the match. Now they can't hurt Earthquake. <laughs> and it's, the, man, SummerSlam, I guess, has a rich history of stupid countouts that the babyface just accepts and doesn't, like, care about. Hulk Hogan just throws Earthquake on a table randomly, and it looks very scary, actually, because, like, the table doesn't break, it just falls yeah. over and dumps Earthquake on his head, so that was scary. <laughs> But then Hulk Hogan just goes back in the ring, plenty of time to break the count, to continue the match, to get his win, to get his revenge. And what does he do? He just kind of like struts around and counts with the referee. And I guess that was good enough for him. If a guy tries to murder you, just like get him counted out and just walk around like you won the whole world, you know. So this is much stupider even. I don't know. I I don't want to bring up SummerSlam 93, but uh, this this is on a, a stupid count out sisterhood level with that uh, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there uh, <laughs> we will. what what levels of stupid we can get to <laughs> okay uh, maybe I, that's worse but still i got some uh reminder of that here yeah i heard it on something to wrestle after with it and i already kind of knew it the whole point of the SummerSlam match was to build the house shows and they wanted to take hug and earthquake around the loop and then when hugging can't be at shows they wanted to do boss man and earthquake so the whole point in the count out, and then the earthquake at, at, on the other side of it was to build the house show matches. Yeah, I don't know. You asked at what point Hulk Hogan becomes stale, and uh, they will not get this buy rate again ever in this era. So it, it is only going to decline from here in terms of Hogan's popularity, in terms of his drawing power. You know, we're, we're definitely on the downslide already. So I think maybe not everyone is in that. Cause you can see the crowd. They're very invested in this certainly. And this, this show got a high buy rate, but you know, we're creeping ever closer to uh, those booze for Hulk Hogan that we know are going to come. Yeah. So Sean Mooney is in the back with Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. And we, we joked about this last time. And now they are specifically referencing Rocky. So this whole storyline is a Rick Rude Rocky story. <laughs> yes. And he's Rocky. Yeah. So, like, this is so backwards. Like, I don't understand. Uh, I don't know. I don't get it. I did love in this. this The the good thing about this promo is that Heenan starts out in, like, mid-sentence berating Sean Mooney about the Intercontinental title. So there's a nice moment of connection for you. I also like at the end he says that Rude's going to win the title and there'll be no sequels, no Rocky 2, 3, or 4. No, no Rocky Balboa, no Creed, no, no any of these sequels. So we'll see nope. about that. This is where I thought Warrior was coming up next, but it was actually Dusty Rhodes. And man, this is some WCW. This is some hard times in its own way. Number one, he rebukes Roddy Piper without knowing what he's saying because he starts off with um, what I call it is emotion. The great sport in the WWF is built on emotion. Sapphire took the money. That's fine. Only America can shelter me from the storm. I am in a storm. So that is very much like that hard time promo where he is specifically put your hand in my hand type thing. Um, and then he says, people are saying, um, when you're going to get mad, big dust, when you're going to get mad, big dust, when you're going to get even big dust. This is just excellent, 
Excellent, excellent promo work. I highly recommend this as a cap and payoff to this amazing story that has unfolded throughout the entirety of the show. Yeah, this is brilliant. This is maybe uh, this promo could be the best thing on the whole show. To be honest, it's wonderful. Uh, he says he offered up his innocence and he was paid back in scorn. And mm. though you might step back and say, Dusty Rhodes, you're, you're an old man. You're not really innocent. And yet, look at the way he came into the company smiling. He was here to have a good time. He wasn't here to have these wars that he maybe had in the past. He had somebody he trusted, a friend, a fan, someone who stood at his side. And yet, he's feeling such betrayal now. Like, you really feel it. Like, he's not smiling anymore. This is a Dusty Rhodes uh, of a different color. And, man, I, I don't know if anything is really going to come out of this to justify this promo. But just by itself, this promo is brilliant. I love it. Yeah, and that's a great point because I think if anything, you've been the guy who runs the company, who's at the top of the company, who does the bunkhouse stampede, who gets beat up by the horsemen. If you go to a company and you let that company be bigger than you and you recognize your place in time and you're going to be in the mid card, but it's going to be fine. The payoff for that, the trade is I don't get betrayed like I used to get betrayed. I don't get hurt like I used to get hurt. Like I'm giving something up, but I get something in return. Well, guess what? You gave something up, but you don't get that thing in return. Yeah. Yeah. I just just came here. It's easier for me to imagine now. Dusty Rose came here just to have fun to have like a different experience to just make some money and have a, have an enjoyable time. And yet here he can't escape uh, the painful moments like this. And uh, it's just the curse of being dusty roads, I guess dramatic things are going to happen to you. They are going to be painful and God, he gets that pain across. Well, here it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Uh, if you live long enough and you have enough self-awareness, sometimes it's hard to tell whether you're causing it or you're not, but it seems like no matter where you go, what you do, there are certain themes that want to try to follow you, certain narratives that want to play out. And I love this idea of I'll be the pizza man, I'll be the plumber, just so long as those curses, those storylines can stop chasing me. Like, I'm done with it. I've lived that part of my life. And man, he just can't, can't escape it. You take your number one fan out of the crowd. And it still happens to you. Like you can't get away from it, Dusty Rhodes. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Now we know how he feels when he's watching Arn Anderson and Terry Funk betray his son in a few years. Oh, that's such a rich. Oh my God! If I could watch Dusty Rhodes' whole career, I think I would do it because yeah. there's such richness in there, and some of it I'm sure is not even captured on on tape. Uh, probably much of it. I was reading a lot about Dusty Rose because I've been pre-gaming because we're going to do an episode on him yes. before the end. And I read something that made me sad and also made me amazed. Somebody who has watched far more footage than me that makes me look like an amateur was writing about Dusty Rose. He said, by the time we regularly get Dusty Rose on tape, he was probably already 60% done with his prime. So wow. there's more than half of the greatness of this man's career, which was not even captured reliably, only in bits and pieces. And it's sad because you will never get to see that, but it's amazing because look at the incredible career that he does have on tape. Just imagine everything that this man did over the course of his career and his life. I may be wrong about this, but I think Dusty Rose is doing a promo or a shoot one time where he talked about people think wrestling started in the 1980s and, and just yeah. talking about how amazing the 1970s and other times were. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. I'm never this. <laughs> people always um, complain about Bill Watts WCW. He's like, oh, he wanted to be like the '70s, and I'm like, man, watch the '70s. <laughs> the '70s were awesome. Everything I've seen from the '70s practically has really been great, great stuff. Like that was a hot time for wrestling. And it's unfortunate that it was not captured more. But just from what you can see, you should know that that stuff is great. Yeah. Under this promo, I wrote "Final Verdict" underlined. We were right about WrestleMania six. Yeah, God, imagine if he could have brought this energy properly to a main event feud. Ah, what it could have been. Oh well. That is a beautiful promo, folks. Watch it. Um, we're gonna get Dusty, I think, on two more pay per views, but I don't know if we really get him or not. So that might have been our best farewell to Dusty as far as WWF. We'll see possible we we will definitely have to see i don't know everything that happens we will see dustin make his uh, appearance his yes. debut before all is said and done i'm very interested in that so we will have more interesting moments with dusty rose but what will they look like i don't know those details we'll have to find out yeah so we got um we got to kill 20 minutes so that we can have nine minutes left for the main event so lord alfred hayes explains what it's like to put up a cage and what a steel cage is um Gene Erklin is with Hulk Hogan, who is back to talking about riding around. Um, he's going to ride whatever Harley or thing to Jack Tunney's office. They are building new buildings around the country. And he says Africa and Asia and places in the United States, I think, is all the country. Um, <laughs> earth, then they're all earthquake-proof, these buildings. And he's going to take the big fat dude and beat him all over the country. So here again, they are deliberately talking about house shows is what all of that is about. <laughs> Pretty um, much, yes. Hulk Hogan very happy about his uh, not really victory over Earthquake, so here we are. Then he talks about a surfboard and a tidal wave, and he says, get it, catch the tidal wave, and so he says that he will again be the number one contender, and this is a weird, this is weird commentary considering who the world champion is at this time. Uh, it is, yeah. I don't know if maybe there was some thought of Hogan Warrior rematch or if Hulk Hogan just didn't give a crap. He knew he was going to get the title yeah. back eventually, so who knows? Yeah, because the truth is he is going to be about to elevate himself into the scene. The thing that you don't yet know is that the Ultimate Warrior is already going to be out of it. <laughs> yep, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay, so Sean Mooney is with Earthquake, and listen to this. Like when the couple of times he yells Hogan's name, that is the only like heat and energy that I've gotten from him. Like if you had him actually raging like that before now, it might have meant more than just whatever they've been doing in their promos for the entirety of this run. Yeah, this is a little better than some of the other stuff, but mainly like you just cursed me with the thought that this feud will continue. And I, I think they'll still be fighting in the Royal rumble match, like as part of their feud. So like, this is just going to go on and on and on. So in my mind, it does a clear place where Hulk Hogan starts to die. We might have to really think about Hogan in the Royal rumble because Hogan's already won one world rumble that I don't know if he really needed. I feel like it is simply overkill that he's going to win another Royal rumble back to back Royal rumbles. And then it's funny to me that a year later is when he's going to get outright booed and turned on in a Royal Rumble. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, all, almost all Rumbles are fun, so I'm still looking forward to 1991, but I definitely remember not enjoying it nearly as much as the uh, 1990 Rumble. And part of that is that, yes, Hogan will dominate. He will do so in much more generic, boring fashion. Yeah. 
Um, and just, yeah, we, we are, nothing happens overnight, but we are definitely on our way, well on our way, to the generic, lazy, not really dialed in uh, Hulk Hogan that will eventually, yes, get booed for, I think, exactly those reasons. Yeah. So Jane Erkelin is with the Ultimate Warrior, who says, you know what Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan have in common with the Liberty Bell. One is cracked, and the other is a ding-dong. Is that... I feel like you referenced that joke yes. last time, so that, that clearly lives in your memory somewhere. Yeah, and Gene Arkland doesn't laugh, and Warrior looks at him, and they both laugh, and it's just... It's an odd... Like, it's odd to me now, but as a kid, it was like, what in the world? <laughs> I still felt that way. It was just yeah. yet another very strange promo... Um, again, Ultimate Warrior half the time acts like he doesn't know Gene Okerlund's there. At least he is not now, like, insulting and scaring Gene Okerlund, so I guess that is his change in behavior. And yet, this is nuts. This is the first time Ultimate Warrior's been on the show, right? Yeah. And, yeah, this is, like, the last ten minutes, maybe, that, like, this promo is part of, so... Is the faith already entirely lost in Ultimate Warrior? Like, clearly, they don't want to feature him too much, yet here he is in the main event still. We're in a weird moment here, and I am not going to go down that road again, so I'm just not even going to talk about it yeah. further. I will just say they said they changed his hair and his face paint because he was not, like, what they said, whether you take it for a grain of salt, but I think it's factually true. The fans that he had, he still had, but he was not growing his base at all, and people were not connecting with him on a level that they needed uh, to connect for it to work like it should, so they were trying different things. Yep, and they would all fail, so... <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, this this double main event is very dire to me. Like, there were some good things about Hogan Earthquake, and I didn't really like it. This match, it's not even bad, like, like most of the Rude Warrior matches. Like, there's some kind of weird chemistry, and there's some kind of effort that sort of elevates it above, like, kind of the worst of what you might expect. But it's not good. It's not really interesting to me. If I would paid for this show, and I was looking for this double main event, I would be like, well, I won't make that mistake again, you know? So, it's not good, you know? It's, it's, it's not for me. And like you said, it's amazing. It's like a different person wrote about half this show, and the guy who was writing all the parts which were supposed to be most important was doing a terrible job. I think what Rude does, Rude leaves the WWF because he wants to be the this, this center heel that the whole company is built around. And I think that he thinks it's going to happen, which is probably why he leaves. Because what I get from this matchup and the storyline, Rude is, Rude is in this storyline like he is about to be made. And Ultimate Warrior is simply Ultimate Warrior. So I think <laughs> there are moments that Rudin makes it. If you want to know my whole thought, there's moments Rudin makes this better. But then if you want to know how you can never really make it better, even if you make it better, the, the match starts with them fighting at the top of the cage. And the Ultimate Warrior knocks Rick Rude off of the cage. So now we got a moment where Rick Rude is off scene, so he can't make it better. Ultimate Warrior drops from the cage onto the top rope. And he just stands there, bouncing up and down on the top rope. Warrior is across the whole ring. Our Rude is across the whole ring. So he is waiting for Rick Rude to get up and walk across the ring and stand where he needs to stand in order to get hit. And he's just bouncing on the top rope until Rude has to do that to make this work. Yeah. It, it's not good. Uh, I think Piper even calls him on it. So maybe that's a point yeah. in favor of Piper. Um, he says, what's, you know, what's he doing? Like, What's he waiting for? This is... <laughs> 
yeah, it's uh, it's not good. I think the most amazing thing maybe to me is like this match is not it it it's fine, but their match last year at SummerSlam was better. So is Warrior getting worse? Is that possible? I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Well, I mean, what can you do? Because ultimately, you know, who's going to win the match. Uh, you can only do so many things. I think it's one of the Warriors' better matches. Still, I think it's definitely yeah. top top three to five, probably in what we've seen so far. Yeah, yeah, and probably will remain so because I, I don't yeah. know what else he's going to add besides the the first Savage match. Yeah. I guess some people like the second Savage match. I don't, but we'll we'll decide on that when we get to it. But um, yeah, um, so Warrior. Warrior does his like his fist in the air, you know, and Piper says, "What does that mean that he's gonna slam him? What does it mean when he throws both arms in the air and starts prancing like a pony?" <laughs> does it mean that's the end of the Ultimate Warrior's career? <laughs> Piper perhaps redeeming himself in our eyes, although yes, not really supporting the product very well. So yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's a nice little spot where Warrior does his typical where he powers out a Rude Awakening. And then they follow that up with a quick, like, Warrior's finisher and, and Rude puts his knees up. So, like, back to back, they both get out of each other's finishers. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad match, certainly. It, it's fine. It's passable. Um, it is helped, certainly, by Bobby Heenan getting into the cage and doing some extremely generous bumping as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean... You could never call it really good. I couldn't anyway, and uh, I, I'm just I'm just not invested in this stupid title run. I will say, interestingly enough, Rude, there's a couple of times where Rude could have beat Warrior, and Bobby Heenan starts yelling, what are you doing, because he won't escape the cage. Mm. I wonder if, if Rude has stayed in, in four to six months. Are we going to see Rude turn face? Is that what a lot of this is about? I don't know. It's possible. Um, certainly... Uh, he had a very good look at the time, you know, as always, but even especially here, uh, there could be conflict here. Um, he was not moving that way when he left because he leaves just mm. before the feud with Big Boss Man. So certainly ah. he's not going to turn face during that. Um, I don't know. It's a good question. We'll have to talk about his departure. I think, yeah, in part, he thought he should have been pushed even higher. In part, I know. Um, he was being advertised for house shows he was not on and then not given any compensation for that. Uh, so being pissed that uh, Vince was using his name to draw and not giving him anything for it. So he'll leave for a few reasons. But, yeah, I don't know. If he stayed, who knows what might have happened there. Yeah. So that's interesting. Rude jumps off the top of the cage, um, has his way with the Warrior, but you got to take the victory when you can get it because Warrior, once he – once he uh, hulks up and he's on the roll and there's no <laughs> stopping him. so He doesn't even have Warrior. his own thing. He has to hulk up. So yeah. that should tell you all you need to know. Well, I think Diesel's going to hulk up, so that helps you. In fairness, a lot of people will hulk up over yeah. the years. But still, Ultimate Warrior is the only one who's supposed to like replace Hulk Hogan. Like, literally, like that was his intended purpose. And still, he doesn't have his own thing. So uh, Diesel revs up the engines. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Okay, so Warrior climbs the cage, gets the belt, wins, climbs back on the cage, swings it over his head. Uh, He's no Hercules when it comes to swinging things over his head, I'll say that. Yeah. That is the Ultimate Warrior's first title defense um, on pay-per-view. So next up on pay-per-view will be Survivor Series. So the next time he defends it will be against Sergeant Slaughter on pay-per-view at the Royal Rumble. 
Yeah, very true. Uh, he will not defend it either at the next Saturday Night's main event. He will team with the Legion of Doom because they all wear face paint. Get it? They will fight <laughs> Demolition. They also wear face paint, so it will be face paint mania. Um, so that will be uh, on the next Saturday Night's main event. We also have a uh, Dusty Rhodes versus Randy Savage match one more time. Maybe they will get a chance to do more than two minutes. I won't hold my breath, but we'll see. It'll be interesting. Uh, Hulk Hogan will team with Tugboat against Greg <laughs> Valentine and the Honky Tonk Man. I wonder who will win that match. Yeah. Um, Texas Tornado and Haku for the Intercontinental title. Coco Beware against Sergeant Slaughter. I think uh, nothing shocking on this show, but could be some good stuff. We'll look forward to that, I think. <laughs> Yeah, you never know how a show will be until you watch it, but it's interesting that because I was not as down on it. I think the double main event, it's not something I would have ordered, but I can see I see it, I think, a little brighter than you. But either way, when I look at that, when I hear that card, whether I end up liking it or not, I don't say I'm looking forward to seeing that show, which is, you know, (laughs) not typical in the series so far. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh some things on it definitely look interesting, but a lot of it not so much. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know what to think of it. Uh, that will be our bridge between here and uh, Survivor Series, though. So whatever it is, we will uh, attack it fully, and we'll bring some bonus material as well, which will uh, make it more palatable if it ends up not being a good show. Uh, that's interesting that that's the one before. That's the only one before the Survivor Series. Yep. Yeah, because yep, I think the they're now seasonal, I think. They say that, but I'll be damned if I can figure out what the seasons are meant to be. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I really believe that. That's fair. Okay, so Saturday night's main event, Ultimate Warrior and LOD. That's an interesting pairing uh, to just put it out there like that and just be honest about it. Um, and they're taking on Demolition, and who else is in it? Uh, on the whole card, yeah, you have LOD and the Warrior against Demolition. You have Dusty versus Savage. Oh. Yeah. I got it because there's three of Demolition. Yes, yes. So there have to be three uh, opponents to okay. make it fair. Yeah. Although maybe there will be a fourth person to make it really fair. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> so Ultimate Warrior, I guess it's building Survivor Series, but weirdly Ultimate Warrior is just kind of like hanging out in someone else's feud. Yeah, absolutely. He's He's got nobody to feud with. Um <laughs> So that, they really did not want him also. in storylines. <laughs> oh my god! I think maybe the only title events of his we're going to see before Royal Rumble is I think uh, there's an episode of the main event which he defends against Ted DiBiase. So I don't know. We're we're sort of I won't say we're done with Warrior, but we're kind of done with like his title reign as a title reign. I don't know. Yeah, and you know it's kind of telling. I think you are right, and I think that buy rate is interesting because Hulk Hogan, when he gets the world title, he will lose the world title by November. Mm. So that tells you like he's going to have a shorter title reign than Ultimate Warrior. So if Warrior's not working, then you got to argue Hulk Hogan's not working as well. Undertaker's going to beat him, I think, at Survivor Series, and then we're going to have the Tuesday in Texas. So we are on – we are we, – we have – go in a new direction and I think they're going to try to revive the old because the new isn't working and the old is not going to work. So we're about to be spinning in some kind of weird, uh, weird space for a little while. (laughs) We are. Yeah. Right now I'm looking down the road and it looks like maybe a hard road until we get to, uh, SummerSlam 91 around that time. I think it's going to pick up a whole lot, but we got a whole year before then and, uh, there'll be good stuff along the way. 
It's going to be a, a big boss man, Mr. Perfect Feud, that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, there's going to be a lot of other good stuff, but there's going to be some tough stuff as well before we can really get to uh, an era that I'm truly excited about again. Yeah. It's interesting. I think it is the the, the trees that grow in groves that is going to um, redeem them for a short time. It's not going to be Warrior. It's not going to be Hulk Hogan. It's going to be uh, when you've got Hogan, Undertaker, Ric Flair, Mr. Perfect, uh, Randy Savage. And if you want to know what trees growing in groves looks like versus one giant tree, trees growing in groves is, is Royal Rumble 92 being the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. Yes, absolutely. Of course, you've got Ric Flair, but you don't have a rumble that great. Just with Ric Flair, you got all the pieces. And, man, that is going to be one hell of a grove. They're going to produce an incredible crop in that match. That, that, that's the payoff of all payoffs of great storytelling in many ways. Yeah, absolutely. So, for me, no matter what we go through in the short time, it's going to be where I've been waiting all my life. To get back to 91 and, and early 92, because I, I never revisit it because WWF is never my priority. But this is one of my favorite things in the world when I was a kid. So I look forward to to being back in that space again. Oh, man, that's beautiful. That That's why we do this. We got to revisit all the good places, even as we uh, condemn the bad. So ah, there's a lot of great stuff to come. I'm looking forward to it. Me too, man. All right. So that was uh, SummerSlam 90 and we and we go on. And we go on, yeah, like much of 1990, I would say the very definition of a mixed bag, but uh, the good is quite good, I hope you'll at least check out a few matches, if uh, you don't want to suffer through the whole thing, we would never blame you for that, but uh, definitely the Dusty Road stuff, uh, the opening match, Bad News Brown and Jake, uh, the tag title match might uh, float your boat, the Intercontinental title match, so definitely, definitely some good stuff going on there. Absolutely. Okay, I think that's everything we have for this show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to shout us out, I am on Twitter. I am at SpectralGent. Give me a shout. Give me a follow. Uh, we'll talk about this show and anything else that you want to talk about. Uh, also, Lords of Pain. Or, nope, that's not it anymore. It's WrestlingHeadlines.com and uh, LOPForums.com for a lot of great written material. Hope you come join in that. There's, in fact, a writing tournament going on in the forums right now that you still have time to join so i hope you will definitely check that out um in the meantime also all the other great programs on lop radio are out there for you to listen to so i really hope you have some time to give those a listen some very good stuff that is all we've got we will be back with saturday night's main event from october of 1990 and some great bonus material as well until then mystic go ahead and take us home Absolutely. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature climbing on the mountainside. You know that no one else believed me. About that, with green eyes and white stripes and salted tears, I knew that these were just its cautionary features. Keep telling myself nothing to fear. It's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet you. 
He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I've never saw this one in books Or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features keep telling myself nothing to fear it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared it's just an undiscovered creature coming up to meet ya he's the one that's scared Discovered.